you were one of those, your phone's probably going to ring. And then, of course, Fast Blast, if you want to uh, do a one-sentence summary that will convince me yours is a serious and good ghost story and include your phone number, then maybe. And then, of course, people who just get in on the line. So, well, you know, we'll mix it up. Now, this program is only about one thing, life and, and more importantly, death. Life is short, really short. Gee, I remember, I can remember when I was crawling in the crib, and here I am, 60, you know, 60 years old, staring at the reaper. And so it shall be for all of you, all of us. Now, that leaves a really big question, the one that probably drove me to begin this program in the first place. Is there anything after all of this? Or is this some accidental or even purposeful biological existence that goes no further than this? I don't think so. I've been convinced by a number of things, electronic voice phenomena, the voices of the dead that I have heard and the people I trust who have recorded them. And then, of course, what you're going to hear tonight, and that would be real ghost stories from real people. So it is kind of scary at times, because this is the real McCoy. Ghost Ghost 05, coming right up. As I said, these are just regular people you're about to hear. Regular people. And so, if you're wondering whether there's more to this life than just the short physical existence that we have, you're going to want to listen during the evening, and I think at some point you'll begin to convince yourself, and for that reason alone, uh, it's well worth the listen. East of the Rockies, you're on the air, and the first caller this night, uh, good morning. Hello. Hello. Hi, Art. Hi. What is your first name? My first name is Dave. Yo, Dave. Uh, where are you and what you up to? I am in northeastern Ohio, and I am working. You're working? Yes. Oh, oh you're working. What kind of work yes. do you do? I am a police officer. A police officer. Okay. Um, you know, that, that makes it particularly interesting. Something happened while you were on duty? Yes, actually. Yeah. Really? All right. Fire away. Well, uh been a police officer about ten and a half years, and on the south end of the uh, the city in which I work, there are two large estates right across the street from one another. Mm-hmm. And about four years ago, uh, my buddy Joe and I were working the midnight shift, and we got called to one of the estates about twelve thirty, quarter one in the morning. Uh, somebody had thought maybe there were some deer hunters on the property. They have a large wooded area on the property there. So we went to check it out. Was it a call, you know, uh, people with guns, that kind of deal? They, uh, they got, all we got was that they thought maybe there were deer hunters in there. I don't think they actually heard shots. They may have seen. Yeah, well, still, still, if you know there's a gun at the call, you're, you're heads up. All right. Well, absolutely, yeah. We didn't, we weren't going to venture actually into the woods until we figured out what we had. So I hear you. We got there, and we were standing along the edge of the wood line uh, trying to listen to see if we heard voices or 
you know, movement or anything in the woods. And after a few minutes, I heard as clear as day, no question about it, the sound of a small child laughing. And I immediately turned my flashlight on and I started looking. It sounded like it came in from just uh, a few feet inside the wood line. And I could see probably 15, 20 feet into the wood line. Right. Uh, and I'm looking and I don't see anything. And I don't hear any movement, no leaves rustling, no nothing. And when I had turned my light on, Joe had turned his on at the same time. And I asked him, I said, did you hear what I just heard? And he looked at me and he said, I think so. It sounded like a little kid laughing. Mm-hmm. Last and thing said, you about you'd expect to find in the woods late at night. Exactly. So I said, okay. So we, we looked around a little bit and uh, we didn't see anything, hung around for maybe another 10 minutes and nothing came of the call. So we left and we had referred to it a couple of times over the years, um, you know, just kind of jokingly. Mm. Well, fast forward ahead to about four months ago, Joe and another officer got called back to the same estate, uh, this time for an alarm at the main house. They got there, and they were met by the caretaker, who explained that the power line had been cut to the house, and that's why uh, the alarm had gone off. And mm-hmm. they were standing outside talking to him. Right. And Joe was, they were near the woods, and Joe was kind of looking around a little uneased. And the other officer, Ron, asked him what the problem was, and Joe said, these woods just kind of give me the creeps. And that was all he said. Mm-hmm. And the caretaker looked at him and kind of chuckled and said, why, have you heard the kids laughing at you from the woods? Oh, really? And Joe was obviously <laughs> dumbfounded and yes. said, actually, uh, yeah, I, I did. What's the story? Well, apparently, the, according to the caretaker, the same family had owned this property for generations and generations. And years and years ago, one of the first couple of generations to own the property had two small children that used to play in the woods there, and yeah. they both drowned in the pond that yes. was in the woods. Yes. And ever since then, according to the caretaker, the family and, and the maintenance people and caretakers and visitors and whatnot have all reported hearing these kids laughing from the woods. God, that just scares the hell out of me, and I'll tell you why. Um, I, have you heard some of the shows that I've done with EVP? Yes, I have. Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah, I know. And so many of them appear to be small children, you know. And as you're considering life after death, man, the last thing you want to imagine is that a child remains on this earth as it was after something, for example, like that. Right. I mean, that, that's, to me, that's horrifying. And even to the EVP people, it's, it's horrifying. And so there you go. And so, <laughs> so you think that was heard was a ghost and it was a child well i i know when i heard it it was there was no mistake in it when i heard it and and like i said joe said he heard the same thing i didn't have to ask him did you hear the kid laugh he just uh, said i heard what sounded like a kid laughing god i i really appreciate the call thank you all right thanks Art. all right take care there's a police officer and as i said the last thing you want to contemplate is that if there is another life that it's spent on this earth perhaps in the same form, uh, eternally. Uh, There is one counterbalance argument to that possibility, and that is that it is only an echo of you, that your soul has moved on, and that what remains to be heard, uh, like by those two police officers, is only an echo of some sort of your life. First first time caller line, you're on the air. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Yes, sir. My name is Dan from Greenfield Park, Quebec. Uh, Hello, Dan. Yes. Uh, 
just about the last caller, uh, I I realized that the the story was the children had uh, died on the estate, and uh, yes. the woods may very well be haunted. But it has to be remembered that a lot of times you are called with children's laughter because it's very tempting to go and help a distressed child. Well, that would be you really don't know what true. you're going to have when you get there. You know? Yeah, that certainly would be true. Uh, almost anybody would attempt to rescue a child. And I really should have asked them why they didn't venture into the woods, but. Anyway. Yeah, that's not why you called, right? Yes. <laughs> okay, my story. Um, I was uh, an Army brat. My father was in the Canadian Forces. And when I was around 10 years old, it was the mid-1950s, we were stationed in uh, Western Command in, near Al in Alberta, Canada, and it was a desolate uh, posting. Uh, the old story of the prairies where you can watch your dog run away for five days. You know? <laughs> yes. And... Uh, <laughs> so, um, my mother originally was from Glasgow, Scotland, and she had come over as a young girl. So she had been in Canada for uh, 30 years or so, or 25 years. And her only contact at home was in the old days. It was you know, he didn't phone. It was uh, the old uh, form airmail letters, and they went back and forth over the years. But she had never seen her family or visited Scotland before. So one evening, this is back in, we're in Alberta, um, we had gone to bed, we'd been in bed for hours, and my mother went up to bed, and in the tradition of the 50s, my, my father locked up and secured all the windows, and he followed her to bed, and uh, sometime in the small hours of the morning, my mother woke up and was really felt an urge to go downstairs and pour herself a glass of water from the kitchen sink, something she can't ever remember having done before. Uh -huh. So she simply used the uh, the light from the staircase to get down the stairs, and as she got to the bottom of the stairs, she just froze, because sitting in her armchair in the living room was an old woman, and the old woman calmly gazed at her. My mother, it was probably a few seconds, when her mother said she was, felt she was rooted there for minutes, and then she, she was terrified. She ran up the stairs, and she broke into the, her in my father's bedroom crying, and he woke up and he said, okay, well, I'll go downstairs and find out what's going on. So he came down the stairs and checked all the doors, all the windows, and of course the, there was no one in the, in, the, in the house. Nothing, huh? No one. So the, the next morning my, when they got up, my mother was still pretty upset. She hadn't got much sleep. My father said, uh, well, I can stay home today and, uh, you know, take care of the kids with whatever, and I'll go to work and just be with you, you know, and she said, no, no, go ahead to work, I'll be okay, I'll have coffee with friends and I'll get over it, so he went off to work, and he came back within an hour, because when he arrived at work, there was a telegram on his desk, and he opened a telegram, and the telegram said that my, my grandmother, my mother's mother, had died the night before when lightning struck the tenement. Wow. Houses in Glasgow. Wow. In the ensuing fire. And so there she was. And she was, well, my mother hadn't seen, visited her, but, I mean, the old lady she saw would have put her in the long brown hair. Now then, when she looked back, it would have been exactly as she would picture my Do you think that it's that the departed wants, I don't know, somehow to comfort the living, let them know there is still an existence, well, I'm still here, something, you know, it, I don't know. It, 
it's it, it's really it's really something because they repeated your 1993 show, I believe, last night. That's right. And uh, you had at the at the end of the program, you summed up by saying that uh, you know when the before the souls depart, they can they want to visit the the friends they perhaps want to. All right, buddy. I I really appreciate the call. I, that's what would make sense to me. You would want to communicate, of course. To you, the closest one to you, to let, in some way, to let that person know that you're all right, that it's not all over, that things are going to be okay, and they too will be okay. Very few, by percentage, make it. But that's a pretty, pretty interesting story, I would say, wouldn't you? I'm presuming they compared photographs and that uh, the identity was firmly made, but uh, you can see why somebody would want to get back. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. This is Glenn from North Bend, Oregon. Hello, Glenn. How are you doing? Doing great. My little story starts when I, about 25 years ago, 17 years old, and we used to take a shortcut through the woods in Freeport, New York, Long Island. And heading towards the shortcut, it saved me about 12 blocks and had to go through like a marshy swamp area. About 100 yards in, it's dark, it's in the back of an old railroad station place had a low-lit light. Could barely see. You could see 20, 30 yards or something. About 100 yards into here, uh-huh. had to follow a trail along the fence. I sat down to smoke a cigarette. And I'm sitting there, 17-year-old. You know, I'm not scared of much, especially growing up in New York, all kinds of surprises. Man, when you're 17, you're eternal. Pretty much. Yeah, that's right. Until after this experience. Uh-huh. And out in the marsh, I'm sitting down, and out in the marsh, I hear some dog tags, you know, and they clanking together, and I didn't think much of it. I thought of dogs out there just goofing off. And as I sat there, the chains just started coming closer, the, the tags, you know, they were clinking and clanking and started coming closer. Huh. So I'm thinking a dog's on its way, and no big deal, no need for alarm. And as my ears, I couldn't really see, to my left was a creek, that came out of a pipe that came under the property, and it wrapped around in front of me, about a 10, 12-yard drop to the creek. The creek's 10 yards. Then the sand bank on the other side, and then a bunch of marshy, small trees, and then you could see maybe 10, 20 yards past the creek. Here come those clanking sounds coming closer and closer, and my ears were telling me that that should be visible soon. should be coming (laughs) into my range. I ought to be seeing whatever this is, yes. And I just still thought it was a dog, so I'm expecting to hear a little critter, you know, coming through the grass and the leaves and whatnot. Yes. And I hear two footsteps. Huh. I hear a something with two footsteps. As in thump, thump. Well, yeah, thump, thump, and it's coming towards me. Not a little French poodle. No, not a French poodle, not a German shepherd. Mm. Two distinct footsteps coming through, and you can hear the grass, you know, walking in the... Dog chains are still clinking, clinking. Uh. And that's about when my alarm went off. I'm thinking, okay, this is a problem. There's no way you can think that this is anything but a problem. Something big. Something's wrong. And my ears were telling me that I ought to be able to see this thing. And it should be right there on the other side of the creek. And this kind of dragged on for a couple minutes. It didn't just walk up. Have you ever seen a deer that was being hunted, whether by man or a predator, it doesn't matter. The deer, just before, usually just before it's pounced on or shot, it 
it gets this this invisible communication, and it suddenly knows it's in mortal danger. Kind of like that, you mean? Exactly like that. Yeah. And I'm thinking serial killer. I'm thinking something I didn't know. Just bad. But I was just bad, and I was ready to go because I should have seen it. it. My ears were telling me it was there, but I couldn't see it. And I'm looking around trying to figure, should I go back to the right or should I go to the left? And I'm in New York, so it's yeah. not necessarily always a friendly place, and I'm out in the middle of this sump. And you can't see that good. To get to the back street of the neighborhood I was heading to, I had to make a left, about 10 yards, go across the pipe to the right, go another 25 yards, and then up the side of the hill and bring me to the dead-end street up there into the neighborhood where I'd have about 30 more blocks to my house. Uh-huh. And the trail on the other side went away from the creek. So whatever should have been down there on that bank would have had about a 30-yard trip to where it was, and I had a 30-yard trip. So I got up and bolted. I figured I could beat it. Uh-huh. I hang to the left, run to the right, and I'm in full sprint. And I'm an ath- I'm athletic type. I'm six two. I understand running. Uh, if you if you're in that kind of fear, running is good. Running is good. Yeah. Okay. And just as I got to the point where I would go up this hill, ten twelve foot shadow, red beady eyes stepped up from the bank and was standing right. God, I hate red eyes. I hate red. I, eyes. I mean, of all the. So, uh, how t- 10 feet? 10 or 12 10, 10 or 12 feet. feet. And red eyes. Um, Huge. Right. Well, see, after that, for me, it wouldn't be a problem because I would have a heart attack and fall down dead, out of danger completely, and on to the next life. That would have been okay, but I froze. It has horns. It's just an outline. It's dark as dark could be. Horns? Well, it had an all you could see was an outline. You couldn't see it. every looking into this creature. Yes, it was as dark as space. Yes, sir. Red beady eyes, mm-hmm. beady eyes, not just red glowing eyes. Red beady eyes, mm-hmm. and I froze. Uh-huh. I was just stuck, and I don't know how long I was there, sitting there contemplating some kind of communication coming at me, like step into me or something. I didn't know, but I didn't want to have nothing to do with it. So I did what any red-blooded American 17-year-old would do in this situation. I turned around, and, and I ran. ran. You ran. And I ran. Uh, and, I, and I didn't stop running. I ran all the way home, and this is like 40 blocks. Yeah. You know, this is like two miles. And my mom and dad, I came home sweating and huffing, and my parents kind of looked at me odd. And, you know, I was always I was a good-raised, yes sir, no sir, yes ma'am, no ma'am, Catholic boy. And I was in almost shock, and I couldn't explain to them what had happened. I didn't dare. They would have committed me. <laughs> you know, they would have sent me. They would have sent me to private school. Or so something. you've kept this to yourself ever since. I've told one person in my life, but not your mom, not your dad. No, I told because I grew up in Catholic schools, and I tried to tell my priest. All right, briefly, because we don't have a lot of time. What do you think you encountered? What do you think that was? Um, it was just a definition to tell me that life just isn't what I had figured out it was at that point. It was just something that it alienated me from what I had considered normal. There's no chance it was a dream, obviously. Oh, no. no drugs, none of that baloney. No, so, no, 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 no. So you're certain, you know what you saw. What, okay. do, you, what do you now think? Uh, this is years later. What do you think you saw? I think I saw a bridge towards wizardry or shamanism or something that I had an opportunity had I done something maybe um, other than being totally afraid that maybe I could have maybe launched myself into another plane because 
certain things have happened over the last 25 years. You mean, for example, if you had approached that thing, if you had uh, just sort of said, okay, let's rock, then you might just be gone. I mean, one of those people that just disappears, and you'd be somewhere else right now. No question about it. The most important question in, in life is about death, isn't it? Um, and you have all of that short life to consider it. And that's what we do on nights like this. We'll just keep the stories coming. You be the judge of the person. Now, so far, I judge them to be pretty regular people. How about you? West of the Rockies, you are on the air. Good morning. Hi, Art. This is Kyle from San Antonio. Hey, Kyle. How you doing? Hi, I'm doing well, thank you. Um, I have a story for you, uh, something that happened when I was just a hair over four years old, um, something that scared me so badly uh, back then and still does now about 25 years later. Uh, I get goosebumps thinking about it. So um, you remember, you, can, you have clear memories of being four. Um, Some people don't. I, uh, I, this I, I guess I do, and even further back than that, I can actually remember being in the crib. Yeah, I, I do have um, some very good memories of, you know, three or four years old around that time, but this one uh, particular incident kind of seared itself into my brain because of, uh, of how bizarre it was. Um, All right, what happened? All right, uh, my family lived in Northern California at the time, uh, town of Chico, um, and we had a motorhome, a very, a very big motorhome uh, that we would take trips in. And one summer night, I think it must have been uh, a Fourth of July weekend, because my parents had decided to just take me and a couple of family friends on a little evening trip to some public park that was a little ways away along the Sacramento River. Uh -huh. uh, so we were in the motorhome, and. Uh, we never ended up making it to the fireworks festival because of this thing that I saw. Um, still don't know what it is. I'm hoping maybe you or some of your viewers might have an idea. I don't have I'm viewers. I have listeners, radio, so you're going to have to describe it. <laughs> okay. Well, while we were on the road, um, there's a dark, unlit highway, uh, a heavily forested area, as I remember. Um, I... At some point on that trip, I decided to go to the back of the motorhome um, away from everyone else because there was a window right next to the bunk bed that I like to look out of. Uh -huh. And I went back there, looked out the window, and like I said, it was pretty much pitch black outside. You couldn't really see anything, but I was watching the, you know, the shadows of the trees going by. And all of a sudden... Uh, something appeared in the window right across from me. Um, it was a face. Uh, it looked like a man's face, except it was hanging upside down. Oh, brother. And, uh, now, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. You're in a motorhome. You're moving, or you're you're moving, right? We, yes, we were on. Because uh, you said it, things were moving by the window. Uh-huh. It must have been a little state highway or something. And so sure. here's an upside-down face, like this thing's on your roof looking down at you. Um, yeah, well, that's, that would be the easiest explanation. Um, oh, crap. The, uh, yeah. It had a... And so what did you do? 
Well, it's obviously frightened me very badly. It had yeah. um, uh, these glowing eyes. The face itself was oh. had a blank expression, but the eyes looked like they wanted to uh, do something Let me guess. very bad to me. So, glowing red. Um, well, I'm actually uh, a little bit uh, colorblind art. <laughs> glowing will do. Oh, man, that's... They were... They were glowing, and they didn't look very friendly. So yeah, oh, no. I, uh, I uh, went screaming up to the front of the motorhome yes. and freaking out, you know, telling my parents and the couple of, of friends that were with us that I saw you know, a bad man's face looking at me through the window. And yes. I don't know what they were thinking. Um, I don't know why they believed me, but they obviously saw that I was uh, scared enough that I thought I had seen something. Yeah, if someone's so, scared enough, you're going to read truth into what they're saying. So what then? Um, they pulled the motorhome over um, on the side of a road. Um, <laughs> I would, too. Yeah, my dad uh, peeked his head out of the, the door, whatever, and he saw um, someone on the roof of the motorhome. Uh. And so he... Uh, ducked back inside, and he got um, his friend that was with us, who was, um, I think he was an, an ex-Marine or an, an ex-Navy guy, a very big, tough guy. Yeah. Uh, so was my dad. You know, they weren't uh, guys that would be afraid of, of a, you know, a hitchhiker on the So they both went the out there and then did what? Well, um, they said that they saw uh, what looked like a little skinny college-aged guy um, running away into a field. And they said they, uh, that they chased him into the field, but he disappeared in the field. Disappeared? And, yeah. I'm not exactly sure what my dad meant by that when I was talking with him about that. All right. Skip then that, to this. What do you think you saw? I am not sure to this day. Um, I just got the impression that... Uh, Whatever it was that was looking at me through that window um, did not have good intentions at all. I got you. All right. Thank you very, very much. Uh, going down the road, you've done that, right? Whether in a car or a motorhome, just looking out the window, watching the trees and the scenery go by, and a head upside down with glowing eyes pops upside down, staring you right in the face. <laughs> Yeah. Hi there. You're on the air, Coast to Coast AM with, uh, well, Ghost to Ghost AM. Okay. Dana, we don't allow last names on the air, so I had to Okay. I had to bleep that out. So, suffice to say, it is Dana calling from where? Calling from Arizona. All Thanks right. to Clear Channel and KFYI. Your signal's coming in loud and strong over. That's Halloween Eve tonight. Way to rock with a promo. So, you have a story for us? I have a story. <clears throat> I have a son, Dylan, who... When he was about, the, he's about the same age as I was when this happened. And the story I'd like to dedicate tonight for all your, the children, the listeners who either their parents have said they could listen to your show or they've had to wait for their mother and father to go to sleep. So I honestly hope it's not too many children listening. Really, I do. Uh, there might be a few. A long time ago, when I was young, I was very fortunate because my best friend was also my cousin. And it had been a Friday night, and I was going over to my aunt's and uncle's farm to do a sleepover with my cousin Kelly. 
And late that night, we, it was a great night, but we had heard noises coming from his window, from the outside of, of the farm window. Now, I'm sure that many of the young listeners have, from time to time might have heard noises coming from their window. Uh-huh. Now, my uncle and aunt had a big farm, but the farm was right next to the old Mesa Cemetery. So that's where these noises were coming from. Early Saturday morning, we got up. Kelly and I loaded our Daisy Red Rider BB guns and proceeded to... Heavy armament. Yes, heavy armament (laughs) of a time that's long gone here from things like that. Yes. But we took our guns and loaded them with BBs and got ready to sneak out of the house to go over to the cemetery to see what could have been going on last night and the noises that we heard. As Kelly and I were leaving out very quietly out the door... His two younger brothers, Steve and John, had woken up, and they saw us, and they wanted to come. So in lieu of waking my Aunt Helen or Uncle Wayne up to let them know what we were doing, we took them with us, too. So off we went into the early morning with our Red Rider BB guns for an adventure. Mm. Hunting ghosts with BB guns. That's good. Exactly. We were a little scared, but we couldn't let Kelly's two younger brothers, Steve and John, know (laughs) that something might be wrong. Yes. And as we got to the cemetery, it was very ominous, and my heart started to race. And they, look, they have these old cypress trees there, the Italian cypress trees that get so big. And the large trees in the cemetery cast a dark shadow. And as we walked, you could feel your heartbeat moving. And then the shadows seemed to be falling us as we walked down the long, lonely cemetery road. Now, as we walked, Art, we came to uh, what looked like a pile of fresh dirt. Uh-huh. And as we got there, sure enough, there's this pile of dirt about four or five feet in height. It's a pretty big pile of dirt was a big pile of dirt. Now, if you've ever seen a gopher dig a hole, how it throws the dirt out, you get the fresh dirt, and then it kind of starts to dry. Yes. And this is what this pile was like. There was no shovel digging chumps or anything. This is a pile of fresh dirt like that. Got it. By the pile of dirt was a hole that was about seven or eight feet. And by the hole in the pile of dirt laid a casket that was all charred and burned out. Oh, now, man. We, we looked at the casket, not knowing what might be in the casket. We're going to see a body, where we're going to see bones, what we're going to see. I'd be voting for a body, probably. Well, there's like a smell of a burned, kind of a singeing burn smell. Oh. We get to the casket, and we look into the casket, and what should we see? Not a thing. The casket was still warm to the touch, but the inside of the total casket was completely charred, completely burned out. Oh, 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 oh man. Now, Art, as young boys, we didn't know what to do, so... We thought we'd get Doug, Mark, or Craig, and they were some friends that were about two or three years older than us, and we figured they'd know what to do. Yes. So we ran off down to, to get Doug, and he came back with, with Mark and Craig, and they decided they, they would take the casket and take it over to his, Doug's barn and put it there for safekeeping until we could figure out what to do with it. Why? Well, they didn't, we didn't know what else to do with it. We found <laughs> the casket and, yeah. you know, finders keepers. <laughs> yeah, so we I didn't guess. know any better as young boys. I guess. We took, the cas- we took the casket and put it over at Doug's house and kind of hid it in the back of the barn until we could figure out what to do with it. Yes. Many years have gone by. The casket's been used for haunted houses. It's been used for spook alleys every Halloween. But nobody really knows the true story of what happened and how it came to be. And one year, my, the Emerson School was doing a haunted house, and they had wanted to use the casket for their haunted house, and somehow I had gotten volunteered to have to lay in it dressed as a vampire, and I could only take about an hour of it because it just creeped me out, just being in that casket, so whatever happened. But through all these years, there's always been three questions in my mind, Art, that what could it have been? Was it damnation, resurrection, 
or just grave robbers. God, I don't know. But that's one hell of a story. Thank you very much. A burned-out casket. Finders keepers. As it relates to caskets, can you imagine? Still all warm. As if, uh, I don't know, it sprang from the dirt or something, all by itself, and the occupant gone. Nothing but heat left. Finders keepers. God, only kids, huh? Hi, you're on the air, Ghost to Ghost 05. Uh, welcome. Uh, are you talking to me, Art? I am talking to you, sir. Okay. What is yeah. your first name and where are you? Well, it's Ivy, and I'm uh, Phoenix, Arizona. Okay, now. Ivy, what's up? Okay, well, you uh, asked for some, uh, somebody to send you email on uh, ghost stories. I've had several ghostly experiences. All right. Well, we only have time for the scariest of them all. <laughs> all right. Well, we were living with my in-laws at the time I was married, and I was working the night shift, and it was my night off. Everybody else upstairs sleeping, and I was sitting in a semi-darkened living room, lit only by a streetlight outside, meditating on nothing in particular. Suddenly, there was a presence in the room by the TV. Nearly everyone's had the experience of sitting in a crowded auditorium and felt someone staring at the back of their head. Sure, around and looked sure. At that one person. That's how I send entity, sense entities. Anyhow, I've had several such experiences, but this one was very strong. I also sense basic emotions such as anger, fear, confusion, and so on, and I was sensing great fear. I saw nothing but the inside of the room. I said something like, it's okay, go outside and someone will be there to meet you. In just an instant, whatever or whoever it was was beside my chair and gave me a hug that almost knocked the wind out of me. A hug. There was no physical feeling to this, but it was definitely a powerful hug. And then in an instant, it was gone. I spent the rest of the night wondering exactly what had happened. The next day, while I was sleeping, my mother-in-law called Uncle Harold, her 90-year-old brother-in-law who lived across town, to see how he was doing. There was no answer. So she took a key to his house and went over to check on him. When she got there, she could see him sitting in his easy chair, but there was no response to her knock, so she let herself in. The best guess was that he had died at the exact time that I had received my visitation the night before. It was after I got up and told them of my experience the previous night, and they informed me of Uncle Harold's demise. That led to some interesting conversations. But I bet. Um, no doubt in your mind about where that hug came from, right? Pardon me? No doubt in your mind about where that hug came from. Oh, I have no doubt at all. Uncle Harold and I were very, very close. And uh, uh, he had willed his house to my mother-in-law. And since we didn't have a home at the time, we moved into there. It was just full of his little inventions. He was quite the inventor. And when I got a novice ham license, I was privileged to use the same antenna that he had used to contact Admiral Perry on at least one of his polar expeditions. Well, it's, uh, thank you very much for the call. It's always wonderful to move into a house where, if you're a ham radio operator, where there's already an antenna. But in this case, a hug, huh? Yes, um, already indications of a sort of a early theme uh, that the dead want to come back uh, at least long enough uh, to let somebody know that they're all right or in some way give them an indication. I believe I had such when my father passed. Is it that or is it that you're looking for something? Well, I can tell you honestly, I certainly wasn't. In the case of my dad, uh, it was a little bat that landed on our 
porch on the morning of his uh, passing. It was so unusual, it stayed the day and it just left, and it was fine, but this bat just flew virtually right down to my feet uh, on the front porch, and just, it was bizarre. Anyway, I think that those who pass do try to let those who remain know in the, in some way, sometimes very graphically, that they're still there. Um, good morning. You're on the air, Coast to Coast AM, Ghost to Ghost AM with Art Bell. Hi, Art. Hello. Hi, this is Mike from uh, Vancouver, Washington. Good morning, Mike. Hey. Um, yeah, I wanted to tell you a story about when I was uh, around 11 years old. Uh, I went to a church camp. I loved this church camp. It was Sky Lake. It was in the Windsor, uh, Damascus area of New York. Yes, sir. And, uh, well, it's kind of like if, are you familiar with, like, the Friday the 13th uh, um, movies? You know, how the kids are with their campers, with the... Of course. Uh, you know, you have the boy group and the girl group. Well, we all went out in a field and did a stargaze. It was about 30, 40 of us. And, uh, well, I got woke up in the morning, early, early morning, about 4 o'clock, 4.15. It was where the sky was starting, just starting to turn light, and it's still dark. And uh, I, I thought, well, you know, I might as well, everyone's dead asleep. The fog is rolling in. It's kind of damp. And I thought, well, you know, I might as well go um, to the rest restroom area and take a shower. That way I can get done, and that way there's before the lines and stuff. So I went over, and there's this shower area with a bathroom area, um, like eight stalls in the boys' room. And uh, and it's located next to this forest line um, about, uh, about a football field away from where the group was. Yes. So I went over and uh, walked into the bathroom and, you know, got my stuff, and I sensed something like a presence, and I just kind of dismissed it because I was, I didn't know. I was only 11 years old. I wasn't really thinking about any, you know, anything bad or anything. And so, and then I heard it oh, like a giggle, like a little kid, and I start looking underneath the, the stalls, and not, there's nobody there. And I look out the window. I could jump up on the, and look out the window, and everyone's asleep. And so the, the giggle stopped. And so I proceeded to take a shower, and I sudged my hair. And then all of a sudden, I heard these children laughing, and it started to scare me. Again, I mean, children. Again, children. Good morning, everybody. It's your program, and therefore, directly to the lines we go. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air. Good morning. Hello, Art. Hello, sir. Hi. Yeah. Um, what, what, is your, was... what is your first name, and where are you? Okay, my name is Michael, and I'm from Vancouver, Washington, and I was in the middle of uh, telling you about my story. I was, in, uh, I was in the shower, and I heard these children laughing. start to laugh. Yes. And... Uh, you know what was weird about it? It was it, it, they waited until I had my head soaked. Your most vulnerable so I moment. I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> uh, you got suds all over you, and now it gets loud. And there's lots of kids. Uh, great. And, and the thing was, it it was like it, it fed on my fear because my heart started racing, and the and the more scared I got, the louder it got. 
And so I started, the only way to deal with it was I started singing. And I, as soon as I got uh, washed off, man, I was out of there. I, oh, yeah. I ran. Um, but uh, uh, what it was just quite a. You are the experience. first person who has ever dealt with something like this that I've talked to by singing. What did you sing? Uh, I was just singing some praise tunes that we normally did <laughs> at church camp. I've got it. All right. Well, thank you very much. So there you have it. Saved by the song, I guess. Uh, it's bothersome to me, and I know to the EVP people that so many of these stories seem to involve the very young, the children. Somehow we just don't want to think that they would have to endure some sort of eternity here on Earth after passing. But actually, a, it should be said, a disproportionate number of e EVPs, and, and these stories that we're hearing tonight involve young children. The universe just can't be that cruel, can it? Um, Wildcard Line, good morning. You're on the air. Good morning, Art. How are you? I'm quite well, thank you. What is your first name and where are you? My name is Peggy, and I'm in Rochester, New York. All right, Peggy. Well, I've got a real um, exciting and, and, and some tragic information here. Okay. In 1977... My ex-husband's wife shot and killed her two children oh my God. and then killed herself. He and I were the data processing department for a, a major mail-order company in Tucson. Yes. And I had known his wife and children because I'd bring my children and my date to play cards with them, and we would just, you know, for hours sit there and, and have fun. My children would play with his while we played cards. Yes. About a year after the tragedy, uh, through sympathizing with him and because I worked with him, I fell in love with him. Mm. We married about a year later, and since his home was larger than mine, me and my children moved into his home. Sure. Subsequently, we had um, two uh, burglaries and then had a burglar alarm installed. He was traveling to Sierra Vista and Fort Huachuca on a weekly basis with his job for the city there, and he'd be gone about five days a week, and this went on for months. After we put the bur burglar alarm on, he was uh, gone, and uh, each night he was gone at exactly 2 a.m., no later, our burglar alarm would go off. <sighs> when responding, the police couldn't find any entry. Even the burglar alarm company had reviewed the system many, many times. Right. And I don't know if you're familiar with Arizona. You can have your window open because of your swamp cooler. Right. About an inch and a half, two inches max. Right. And still have your system operational. Absolutely. Well, anyway, the, uh, both the police and the uh, alarm company would have it set so that the window w was open and try to set that alarm off. It would not go off for them. Now, mind you, while this was going on, each time the alarm went off, my, I had trained my children to immediately run to my room, lay down next to the bed, and I had a three fifty seven Magnum uh -huh. underneath my pillow that I would point Toward the hallway, the bedroom door. A three fifty seven Magnum. Uh... A three fifty seven Magnum. Okay. And I didn't even know how to shoot a gun. Uh huh. 
But anyway, I was so terrified after, oh, this happened. Oh, I would say 20, 30 times. Oh, God. Is, is it your presumption that these children and this and or this woman who had killed them and then committed suicide was coming back to the house? I mean, is that where we're going here? Absolutely. Uh. Absolutely, because I would hear um, when my children were at school, I would hear children's whispering uh. coming from uh, the kids' rooms. Right. And I would find things like the flour would be in the refrigerator, the, sh- the milk would be in the pantry. I would put things down, and I'd turn around to get them, and they weren't there, and I'd go crazy looking for them. God, you I know, think this was the kids kind of playing with Yeah, them. I've got it. I, you know, these shows end up scaring me every damn time. This is really doing it for me. Already I see this theme, and here you are again with children, and, and what a tragedy. Well... Did it ever all end, or is this something that's just going on and on? Um, Well, you know, after months and months of this and the police responding, one of the policemen pulled me aside, and he said, Lady, if I were you, I would not spend another night in this house. Really? Because he had responded on numerous occasions with this situation. Well, I told my husband, I said, Look, it's either me or the house. (laughs) We bought a home the next day and moved out. The entire three years that we were there, it would be 110 degrees in the middle of summer, and my living room, ooh, I get goosebumps and the hair raises on my arms. So you were driven from the house? Yes, I was driven from the house. That house would be like an icebox in the middle of summer. Just the one room. Um. And I could... Always was there, I mean, this is something you must have talked over with your husband um, oh, yes. many times. And, and so oh, yes. by the end of this, you were both absolutely convinced what was going on. Do you think that these spirits stayed with the home when you moved? It all stopped? No, it did not stop. As a matter of fact, six months after we moved out, the new owner telephoned us very late at night, and I... I would guess around midnight. And he asked my husband if he was the original owner of the home. And we knew exactly why he was asking. Yeah. I've I've heard that when you go to sell a house um, with the kind of activity that you had, you're actually legally, you know, responsible to tell the person, maybe in California or just some states, I'm not sure, that it is a haunted house. Um, I don't believe we were at that time. That may well be. Yeah, yeah I, I think you have to now. In some places, anyway, you actually have to mm-hmm. tell them it's haunted. That's how serious this is. So is it all resolved now or what? Um, no, I don't think it's resolved. There, Something happened subsequent to that. Did you get my email earlier? I, I got your email. Okay. Um, subsequent to that, Um, In 1985, my daughter ran away from home, and she called me about two weeks later and proceeded to tell me that my ex-husband had been molesting her. Oh, God. It just gets worse and worse and worse. It was right then and there that all of a sudden it hit me. There was no motive until that moment for this murder-suicide. 
And my feeling is that she was trying to get me out of that house. Clearly. Me and my children away from him. I believe she killed her children because she could not leave them with him. Oh, that's incredible. And she could not herself deal with the situation emotionally. Well. So I believe that this man has blood on his hands, and I could not get the police department to listen to me on it. Well, you sure got one to tell you to get the hell out, though. Thank you very, very much for the story. So many of these hauntings uh, seem to have some kind of tragedy, instant, uh, you know, some horrible accident or suicide associated with them. Uh, Could it be, of course, we frequently speculate that souls are held here on Earth or in some kind of purgatory when it's something like what was just described? East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hi. Hi. Um, I've been listening, and we've had uh, quite a few incidents happen, and there was one that just happened recently, and um, it really sort of worried me, but um, I had, we'd gone through the hurricane, and I had been up all night, you what, know, going uh, what, to what the is your, wait, Hold on. What is your first name? Sharon. Sharon, and where are you? I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. Jacksonville, Florida. So you'd been through a hurricane. Yeah. And so I had laid down finally that morning, you know, to get some sleep, and so I woke up. And my bedroom door was shut, and all of a sudden I look, and it's like I had some clothes hanging on the back of it, and somebody was pulling some, the dress away from the door like they were looking at it. This is what was really strange. Huh. And so anyway, uh, later I, I, got, I went into the um, washroom. I was going to decide to do some clothes, and so do some wash. And so I opened the washer, and there inside the washer was three stems of leathery fern inside my washing machine. Really? And I'm saying, oh, my God, then I knew what had happened. My mother was a real dress nut. She used to make us dresses all the time when we were young. Yes. And so she was a fernery. She had started the leathery fern business. And so anyway, I have her fern here. Huh. And so I think is what she was trying to let me know, that it was her that was here with me during the storm. You know I what I'm got it. Yes. And then another incident, my husband had gone up on the roof after a hurricane one year. And so uh, when he was trying to come back off the roof, the ladder was there, but the ladder kept moving back and forth. And so he couldn't figure out what was making the ladder move. And so anyway, he starts to come down, and he falls backwards. And he hits the tree, then comes down the concrete and hits his head, cracks his whole head open. And... um, Anyway, he uh, we end up getting him a rescue. He dies on the way to the hospital. Oh, my God. He, he's dead for about an hour. He comes back. And anyway, we find out later this girl had come to the house to visit, and she brought a friend of hers with her, and she happened to be from the church. Anyway, she was psychic. And she said, there's somebody in this house. There's a spirit in this house. And so she goes to start to me said that was there was an accident not too long ago and I said yeah she said um wait a minute slow up. you don't die yeah, for, he, for he, an he, hour he, he was you, dead for an hour and he and he well, came back well, uh, he was sent back no and, you you don't Yeah he was they they verify I mean I heard on the radio I said, if they were lifting off the with the helicopter, I was in the office there with mercy and and if they, are, are you patient. saying that he was declared Dead. Yeah, he was declared. Yeah, they said patient just died, and so I went back later. And they said he was dead for right at an hour 
on the way to the hospital, all the way from uh, from where we were at. To a, uh, they had to go to another place because it was storm. They had to go to another place. Well, uh, that, that alone is just absolutely astounding. Well, I know it's happened to a lot of people I know. But anyway, um, anyway, she was telling me. She said, "Well, uh, I'm going to tell you who who this was uh, or why this accident happened." And she starts to describe this young man, and, and then she tells us that. It was my brother-in-law. He was trying to warn my husband not to get on the ladder because my husband didn't know. So he put the wrong end of the ladder down. He had the rounded end instead of the flat end. Oh. He was trying to warn him not to get on the ladder. And that's why the ladder was shaking. Yeah. And so anyway, um, he said Jim was trying to save his life. That's my brother-in-law. Got it. And so anyway, then she says, Paula, he's standing right behind you. He was... We were sitting at the counter in the kitchen and, and the sink and all that's right behind me. And she said, Paul, and she described, she never even knew, she described you to a T. He was standing there making himself coffee <laughs> right behind me. And I went, oh, my God. And so then another incident happened with my father-in-law. And my grandchildren were here. And one of them turns around and looks out the window and says, who's that old man walking across the yard to the shed? And so I went, oh, my God. So I showed her a picture. I said, is this him? She says, yeah, that was my father-in-law. And, I mean, we've had so many as it's like my grandchild. He showed up after he passed away. All right. Well, it, it seems to thank you very much run in the family then. Uh, do anybody out there watching the show Medium? It's, it's kind of interesting, actually. I believe they ran three in a row this night. It's the story of uh, Alison Dubois. Alison Dubois lives down in uh, Phoenix. She's a real person. I'm trying to get an interview with her, by the way. I'm working on that. Even if I have to do it during the day and tape it or something, God, I really want to interview Alison Dubois. But in the show Medium, she frequently has what you just heard, encounters actually seeing uh, a person who is dead in, in trying to resolve some kind of situation, ongoing tragic uh, murder or something associated generally with crime because she works for the district attorney. Anyway, it's a pretty good show, so if you haven't seen Medium, it's something you might want to check out, and I certainly would be interested in interviewing uh, uh, Mrs. Dubois. Can you imagine that? West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Art. This is Debbie in Sutherland, Oregon. Hello, Debbie. You're going to have to speak up and yell at us. You're not too loud, so okay, get real close better? to... Oh, that's much better. Okay, this is my shape-shifting. Could be ghostly, could be not. It's okay. About one o'clock in the morning, I stepped out on the front porch to put some dry food out for the cat. Right. And evidently, I scared some kind of a creature that was eating off the porch. And when I got out there and shut the door, it was down at the bottom of the stairs on the driveway. Now, what kind porch. of creature? I mean, uh, how much of a description? Well, it was small, round, didn't see any legs, couldn't see its face, it didn't turn around. It had long brown hair that hung to the ground. And it started to move, and it waddled as fast as it could, which wasn't very fast. Waddled. It didn't have any legs. It was kind of waddling. And as it moved down the driveway, it started to grow, get taller, and the brown hair was gone. It became short hair, dark hair. The legs grew as it went down the driveway. It wasn't making a sound. And I thought, as it's going down, I'm thinking, raccoon, no. It gets to the end of the driveway, and it's tall like a deer, and I think deer. It runs across the street. It's not making a sound. It clears the sidewalk across the street with one foot. At that point, I heard a hoof print. A hoof print. A hoof print. So it, we're talking about some kind of shape-shifting creature. Ah. It ran across the lawn, the front lawn of the people across the street. They also have a concrete patio right after the lawn. 
at that point, it made no noise as it went across this patio. At that point, I could see that it was growing long black hair, and it was running, and it was flowing out behind it. Wow. I watched it until it got all the way uh, past all their lights. The street was well lit. Just let me stop you long enough to ask. You actually could visually see the hair yes. growing. Yes. I saw everything from the bottom of my porch to the end of the driveway to the one hoof print on the sidewalk, cleared the lawn, made no noise. It was going across their patio, and it started to grow long hair, uh-huh. black long hair that flowed out from behind it. That's straight out of some kind of movie. I don't know, and I watched it until it went into the darkness. I had my porch light on. We have a street light out in front of the house. People across the street have their porch light on, which was unusual for one in the morning. We live in a cul-de-sac. The street's not very wide. At the end of the cul-de-sac, a creek runs through there. The people at the end have a nice creek through their backyard. A creek runs through it. Yeah, yeah, so it ran into the darkness. A couple of days later, I went over to the lady that lives in the cul-de-sac, and I went in and I sat down and I told her all the thing. And she sat there and stared out the window for a moment, and she said, well, I guess things, things happen. And she thought for another moment and said that she sees all kinds of animals come up from the creek all the time. Good morning. We're exploring with all of you real experiences people have had with, uh, well, uh, those who have passed, for the most part, not all of these stories uh, may have been that. And you have to imagine that in addition to human spirits that for whatever reason may remain or remain in contact with some of us, there are perhaps spirits that have never been nor ever will be human. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, this is Keith. How are you doing? Hi, Keith. Where hey, are uh, Where are you? I am in Hastings, Minnesota. Hastings, Minnesota. All right. Welcome. Uh, you have a story, no doubt. Yes, sir. Uh, it's from a book that I've written on my experiences as a person who's been sensitive to those, those sorts of things over the years. And uh, it's uh, called The Mineral Springs Sanitarium. This is a true story. And uh, the Mineral Springs Sanitarium was a tuberculosis center yes, uh, built in the early 1900s down in Cannon Falls, Minnesota. It was kind of way out in the sticks. Well, anyway, when we were back in high school, me and some friends decided to go down there. And uh, we didn't know where it was, but it turned out that a friend of the family had a mom who worked there. And she told us where it was because it was uh, abandoned. So we went out there to shoot a music video. We just kept on getting this weird feeling. And you can imagine, it's just like a standard hospital, you know, it's, four floors, an elevator on one end, and a staircase on the other end. And we went in the place, and there were still beds in the rooms and files in the filing cabinets. And uh, even stuffed toys left in the nursery. The whole place had just been like it was just abandoned. Right. You're going to have to, you're not very loud. You're going to have to yell at us here a little bit. Oh, sorry, sir. Okay, continue. So anyway, what we did was um, we decided to go back the next night and explore, you know, and see what it was like at night. (laughs) And so we went there, me and a friend of mine, and uh, we took some baseball hats with us because there were rumors of, like, satanic cults and stuff down there, of course. You know, it's urban legend stuff. Uh, And anyway, we went down there, and uh, we decided to start at one end of the building, and she took one side of the hallway, and I took the other side, and we'd go in the room with the flashlights and the baseball bat, 
and see if anybody was in there. Mm. And if nobody was in there, we'd shut the door behind us and leave. Well, we did this for, like, the first floor the second floor, and finally we got to the third floor of uh, the facility, and we were about halfway down the hall. And all of a sudden, um, I come out of this room, and I shut the door, and nobody's there. And uh, we're going on to the next door, and all of a sudden, bam, one of the doors slams behind me, and I turn around, and she looks at me, and it happened to be the room that I just come out of. Hmm. Well, we're trying to explain it off. I, you know, I might have missed somebody, or maybe it was the wind because there was some broken windows. So I go back to the door, and the handle's still jiggling. And that's when I realized that the door opens in, not out. And I had shut the door behind me. Hmm. So I open the door and look into the room. And it was a room that didn't have a closet or anything in it. And the glass was still in the window of this room. And she looks at me and goes, we should get out of here. So I'm like, okay, I'm with that. So we turn around and we start heading down towards the stairwell, which was maybe about 50 feet away, and we made it about halfway there. And all the doors on that floor started opening and slamming as hard as you, I mean, you know, as hard as you could open and slam a door physically. Yes. That's how hard these doors were slamming. Oh, all by themselves. Yep. Okay. So you no doubt readied your baseball bat to combat this force. <laughs> no, we, we got the heck out. We ran like crazy. Yeah, that's and, right. Uh, that's what I know, did, too car was maybe about 50, 60 yards from the building, and we got there, and I'm fumbling through my keys. It's like a horror movie, you know, like, you know, and I'm like, stop, stop, you know, got to get in the car, got to calm down. And we sat there by the car, and we could still hear all the doors in the building opening and slamming by themselves. That'd do it for me. Yeah, no doubt. But here's the really weird thing, Art. The, uh, there was a contractor who bought this property, and the city of Cannon Falls was blockading him because he wanted to put in, like, condominiums down there. Yes. And, uh, well, one night the building mysteriously burns down, so then he can go afford, go ahead and forward with his work. Now they're building houses on that. And there used to be an unmarked cemetery where they put the unmarked, uh, the unclaimed bodies of the tuberculosis patients down there. Oh, brother. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I very much appreciate the call. Then, obviously, uh, that, that was... I don't know, I guess you'd describe that as poltergeist activity. That a spirit can move things that, um, I think it takes additional power because you don't hear of it frequently. We do get these stories, but not frequently. You know, things actually moving, flying around a room of spirits being able to manipulate material things. But it's it's very uh, unusual. It, it's certainly not usual. It's the odd ghost story. Uh, you're on the air, Ghost to Ghost AM with Art Bell. Good morning. Art. Hi. This is Jim in St. Louis, Missouri. Hey, Jim. Hi. Uh, this happened years ago when I was living in Colorado Springs in the mid-'80s. My girlfriend and I were out for a drive one night on a uh, dark mountain road up in the mountains above town and parked at a place where we could overlook the city lights below. But we were sitting on the car facing away from the city lights and uh, looking down the, into the darkness of the road as it headed back into the mountains. Uh-huh. And suddenly, two shadowy figures emerged from the blackness and were coming silently toward us. And each black, featureless figure appeared as a head and a torso, but the lower form was indiscernible and appeared to just fade into nothingness. You mean like no legs? Uh, yeah, oh, I couldn't even say there were no legs. It just kind of like uh, 
nothing kind of faded out, you know. Yeah, were these things, uh, how would you describe them, as floating? Absolutely. I was just going to say they were floating straight towards us, uh, and uh, they weren't weaving side to side or bobbing up and, up and down or jostling in any way that you might associate with normal walking. And uh, Smoothly floating is very bad. I, I mean, living humans, as you say, when you move, you jostle, you walk, you move back and forth, you don't float evenly. That's horrible to begin with. Okay, so that does make me nervous. Yeah. Um, so, uh, as there, as I first, uh, we first laid sight upon them, they appear to be about 75 yards away from us and coming straight towards us, floating straight towards us. Uh -huh. And I just casually said, here come a couple people. Yeah. And about three seconds later, they appeared to be only about 50 yards away. And I said, and they're coming pretty fast. And then about two or three seconds later, they appeared about only 25 yards away. And I shouted, get in the car. <laughs> and we scrambled into the car, nervous wrecks. And I'm shaking my keys so bad I could barely get the car started. And finally, I get it started, and I gun the car, peel out, just as my girlfriend, who's looking out the back window, screams, Jimmy, go. And we got out of there and drove home we were scared out of our minds and we took a lot of time to quiet down and i began to ask her to tell me her version of this story i didn't tell her anything that i saw i just wanted to see what she would tell me yes see how well they match uh -huh. and they matched virtually perfectly in every detail but she did add that as i was peeling out and she was looking over her shoulder out the rear window. These two ghostly figures had closed the remaining distance and were nearly upon us. Oh, my God. And then we were gone. Yeah, and she would have, of course, been the only one to have seen that looking back, right. telling you to get the hell out of there. Yeah, I've got right. it. Right. And you would think by that close, uh, something more detail would have come into view, but she didn't mention that any did and or, or that they diverted off the path. You know, well, there's probably a silly question for you because you have no way of knowing, but had you not made it the hell out of there, what do you think might have happened? I've wondered that all these years, and I have no idea what would have happened if it just would have uh, gone poof and it was gone or it turned out to be people, you know. But I, I've had doubts as to whether it's people like riding bicycles or something because even then you would still see some wavering of some kind or and maybe hear the bikes. Plus, uh, Well, a rational human brain tries to make sense out of something that makes no sense at all, you know, like floating mm -hmm. parts of bodies. Very bad. I never could imagine um, anybody taking that kind of chance uh, coming upon us because, I mean, for all they know, we could pull out guns and, and blast them down, you know. So it just kind of uh, casts a little more doubt on the likelihood of uh, just being a couple casual strollers, you know. Well, I'm glad you're here to be telling us the story. And uh, probably likewise. you're only here because you, you took off. Thanks for the call. Thank you. Take care. Uh, parts of human bodies floating evenly, no jostle, no movement, just moving toward you very, very quickly. That that would do it, and I would do exactly what he did. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hello? Hello? Yes, hello. Hello, Art. Hello there. What is it's your first name? This, it's Keela. Keela. 
Kila. Mm-hmm. Okay, Kila, uh, where are you? Well, I'm in Tennessee, a place called Wartburg. Tennessee. Yeah, next, right. to the, next to Oak Ridge. Well, welcome to the program, Kila. Do you have a story for us? I do, and it, it kind of spans quite a long time because I'm getting up there in age. And it started back when I was young. The house that we lived in wasn't very old, and it had an upstairs to it. It had 13 steps to the top of the stairs. Mm-hmm. And when I was young, when I was little, I slept, of course, downstairs close to my mother. But then as I got older and as the brothers and sisters grew out of the home, I finally got my own upstairs room. Um, Boy, there's nothing like that, huh? If you've got brothers and sisters to finally get your own room, that's hot stuff. Especially out of six other brothers and sisters. That's right. That's like winning the lottery. (laughs) That was it. Well, anyway, everybody that would come over, you know, cousins and friends and, you know, just whoever, they would go upstairs and, you know, you get hungry and I'd run down and get something. All of them. All of my nieces, all of my nephews, all of my cousins and friends hated going upstairs. They would, they didn't want to go up there. They kept telling me things would happen to them. Well, nothing ever happened to me. So it, it didn't bother me. You know, I... I wasn't afraid of any, so now I'd laugh because it would keep everybody out of my room. I didn't mm. have to hide my stuff. <laughs> right, all right. So I would, I just jokingly to myself, you know, would would say thanks, Joe, especially if somebody come over that I didn't want to come up to my room, you know, mm. and didn't think anything about it. Well, I went to visit my cousin in her new house after she'd had her baby, and because uh, me and my cousin were real close, well, we still are. But anyway, I was rocking her baby in the living room. And um, my cousin, you have to understand, from upstairs, she was skittish anyway. Um, uh, I called her Shaky Jake because anything scared her. Uh-huh. And um, we were in the living room, and I was rocking the baby, and we kept hearing these noises. And they were coming from down the hall where the nursery was at, but the baby didn't sleep in the nursery. And so we, you know, she wasn't going to go investigate by herself, so I had to go with her holding the baby. Right. We go in and open up the door, and in the middle of the room is this big bird, you know, back, way back when, when they had big birds that would talk, and I'm sure they still have them, and a Teddy Rupskin that would tell stories. Okay, well, they were carrying on. It was like they were talking to one another, and so huh. me and her start laughing. It's like, oh, you've left the toys on. You know, you're scared for nothing. <laughs> we go into the room to turn them off, and it's at that point that we realize they're not on. Their little thing is on off. And to top that off, it has no batteries in it. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, my God. And so these toys have animated and are in some sort of dialogue with each other. That's what, yeah. No batteries, no on switch, nothing, huh? Right. Okay. Uh, mm. I'm not a scaredy cat, Art. Maybe I should be, but I'm not. It really, you know, I kept thinking, oh, it's something to do. It's a new toy. They've, you know, some kind of manufacturing thing. Yeah. My poor cousin, it was not very long that she moved out of that house. Well, I'm with your cousin. Um, <laughs> perhaps because I understand how impossible that is. Anyway, she, she took off, huh? <laughs> well, after she had moved, and I guess it was a year or two later, I went back up to visit her at her new house now. And... uh we were laughing, cutting up, talking about how everybody 
hated my upstairs bedroom and how she kept saying that's haunted and, I, and she never did go back upstairs. I was laughing about that because here she was a mother now and she still wouldn't go upstairs in that house. That I that I used to live in my home. Well, I don't I, look. I I thank you. I don't blame her. I, animated toys uh, without batteries. No, that doesn't happen. And if it does happen, then something is just too weird. Remember Close Encounters of the Third Kind. You remember when the ship was nearby with a large electromagnetic field of some sort? I mean, insanely large, and lights were going on, and toys were beginning to operate. That kind of thing. Yeah, electromagnetics. Uh, hello there, you're on the air. Uh, Ghost to Ghost version 05. Great, how you doing, Mr. Bell? Very well, sir. Where are you? I'm actually, uh, my name is Eric. I'm calling from uh, Dugway Proving Grounds in Utah. No kidding, all right. And uh, this actually happened when I was living in uh, Southern California. I was, a, I, was running, I was running copying at a hospital, and I'd been there maybe about six weeks. And one of the uh, floors that we had, it was uh, it wasn't earthquake retrofitted, so it was uh, an abandoned floor. Mm. So one night I got off the elevator and looked at the first patient room to my left, and we'd look for transients and things like that, and make sure you know it's, everything's okay. Um, the bathroom lights on in there, and that's that wasn't a problem. Um, you know, plumbing still worked. You know, electricity worked. So I walked in there, I flicked off the uh, light, and I started checking all the rooms subsequently down the floors or down the floor and i get around the other side and uh i hear two voices uh it sounded like maybe a male and a female just, just talking i mean and i'm thinking it might be our environmental environmental services people so i'm like yeah you know let me go say hello so i backtrack and uh go back around and there's nobody there but that light's on now mm. I'm like yeah, that's sort of strange so i go back in i turn off the light and i start checking it again i get back to the same spot where I was at, and I hear the two voices again. Just sounded like just a male and a female just talking, yes. and could barely I couldn't make out what they were saying though. So instead of um, going back the way I came, I went up, up and around to the nurses' station. And uh, again, it was uh, you know hospital floor; it's almost a circle type you know deal. So, and there's nobody there. And at that time, I started to get this feeling that you know there's something up there, and <clears throat> so. You know, but you know, I have to do my job, so I finish it out. And later on, I was talking to one of my partners, and he told me that when he was in training, he was up there, and he had got done checking all the rooms also, and he had walked over the elevator, and he hit the uh, call button for the elevator, and he saw something flash out of the corner of his eye, and he looked over, and the last room he had checked, the call waiting light was going off now. And the only way to get that to go off is if you have to be inside the room pressing a button. That's right. And so I asked him, I said, well, did you go back and investigate? And he said, heck no, I started hitting that uh, call button to make that elevator come up quicker, and he got the heck out of Dodge. Huh. Not a real scary story, sir, but this is sort of an odd one. Um, no, probably would have done it for me, thank you. But I guess I, I do scare a bit easily. Uh, who was it? Tess Gerritsen, I believe. Uh, Tess Gerritsen, Dr. Gerritsen, uh, who told us a story about uh, how they used to put uh, bells with uh, ropes inside of coffins so that um, if you were to um, awaken in your coffin, you'd be able to yank real hard, no doubt, on this uh, uh, this cord and um, 
you know, let everybody know you're still alive, but you're trapped in your coffin. Most of you have good hearts. That's one good part of all this. I mean, so much of this is virtually heart-stopping that the majority of you calling who have been through these experiences, you've just got to have good hearts, right? Good, strong hearts, because here you are telling your story. East of the Rockies, your turn to tell your story. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? And what is your first name and where art thou? I'm Barbara. And I'm calling from Jonesboro, Arkansas. All right, Barb. <laughs> I, when I was about 12 years old, my mom had started to drink. And if you know anything about alcoholism, if they don't want to get help, you watch them get progressively worse. Until they hit bottom, that's right. Yeah, so over the years, that's what happened until I was about 19. And at that point, I watched my mom get very bad and watch her change physically over the years. And she finally died an alcoholic. She just wouldn't get help. I'm so sorry. But um, one day, about three months after she died, um, I had gone back to the house where I, I was not living at home at the time. I went back to help my dad, and there were some dirty dishes in the sink, so I decided I would wash them up, and I was just kind of, not thinking about anything, looking out the window at the backyard where I used to play. And I just felt like somebody had walked in the room and was standing next to me. And I, I looked over really quick, and there's my mother standing. But she looked at me, and I was so shocked. She looked, her face was all glowing, and her skin looked really healthy, and she looked healthy. Her, her hair was so, looked soft, and she said to me, don't worry about me. I am so happy now, and she was smiling. That's something I hadn't seen her done in, in, in years. And I, I don't know why I did this, but I kind of turned to the other direction, I guess for a reality check, and then I looked back, and I was, as I was turning my head back, I wanted to say, Mom, right. and she was gone. And she was gone. Uh, all right, here's what I want to ask you. And I'm sure you've asked yourself this many times. Uh, we hear so many stories like the one you just told, although usually not an appearance, and rarely does the person talk like this. But um, is there any possibility that your mind could have concocted this you know, in some sort of as some sort of psychological calming for your for yourself, or no. did no, no chance of that? This was real, huh? Yeah, because I, I I was just so shocked, and afterwards I was shaking because I thought, my goodness, it, it was just so bizarre. And I I didn't tell I never told my dad because I just felt he wouldn't believe me, but. You know, because of this whole thing with alcoholism, my mom and I didn't have a very good relationship anyway. Right. And her coming to me and smiling and just saying, don't worry, I'm okay, was just weird. I mean, it was just out of character, I guess you'd say. Well, so. well there are many who believe that um, on the other side, if we make it, you know, to the, the, the supposed good place... 
you are restored to your best health and all the rest of that sort of thing, and so maybe it's all true. I know, but she was glowing. I mean, she she just had this glowing appearance. Very healthy. The exact yeah. opposite of what she was in life. That's, uh, I hope that's true. <laughs> and, and for you, is it now true? I mean, was it so real that you have no doubt at all in your mind about kind of the nature of the other side now? Oh, I wish that were true, but I still question myself. You still you know? have questions, huh? Yeah, because I, I don't know. This, I just, I don't know. I, I, I guess everybody goes through a period where they kind of question if they had faith. They kind of question it. I, and then maybe that's where I'm at now. But I remembered the story uh, as I was listening to your show, and I thought, Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. I remember. That. Well, thank you, thank you very much for calling and. That was an important question for me. I, I, I mean, the question about could, and she responded so quickly, no. You know, could it have been some sort of psychological protection, you know, of your own mind reaching out and uh, telling you what you essentially want to hear? But she came back very quickly, no. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Good uh, morning. Hello, Art. Yes, sir. Hi, this is Murray in Portland. I'm sorry, the first name again? Murray? Murray. Murray. Okay, welcome, Murray. Thank you, sir. I'm a long-time listener. I started listening to you in, oh, 1991 or 1992. It's been a while. A long ride. <laughs> well, uh, the reason I'm calling is uh, I had quite a ghost experience in 1988, and uh, it's changed my life forever. Uh, and it's funny, uh, when I found your show... I found that I wasn't the only guy out there that experienced this type of stuff. That was great. Well, you know, that is one thing about this program, of course, that people do hear other people, and then they say to themselves, I guess, well, I guess I'm not nuts. <laughs> well, my wife still thinks I am. <laughs> How so? All right, so what happened? Well, I was going to school in Fulton, Missouri, a place called Westminster, Westminster College, and uh, TV ended there. We were poor, you know, pretty, pretty bad shape at that time, uh, didn't, couldn't afford cable. So TV shuts off pretty early, and you have to find something else to do. Right. We had turned on, I was with my cousin Mark and my friend Peter, and TV had ended. Yet we hadn't turned the TV off. We were just doing other things. We, by that time, a stereo would come on. I was going to ask, is that back to the days when TV stations would sign off, play the Star Spangled Banner, and go off the air? That's right. I yeah. believe the, the last show was Star Trek, and then they they would do that, and that was that was out of Jeff City, Missouri. It was only uh, TV you could get. Okay, so I re- I remember all that. Yes, yeah, those old days. So white white noise would, had come on through the little television. It was probably a fourteen inch TV. That's right. And my friend Peter was just I just noticed out of the corner of his eye, you could see images running in the snow. And it looked like, you know, a feed from another station. And it was uh-huh. quiet. It was odd. It was very odd. And it, five minutes of this or something. And then it just passed. It was, and we turned the TV off, listening to a, 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 a record. Right. And <laughs> this is where all reality ended. And I had the weirdest experience of my life. We're just sitting there in his living room at my cousin's house. And then we just hear a large groan come out of the kitchen. A groan. A groan. And it, it definitely caught our attention. We were like, what was that? Human or animal? 
type girl? Human, human, definitely. Uh, from behind the corner, which would have been out of the kitchen, steps a lady. Just, it looks like she's made of black smoke. You can see right through her. You can see the wall, the door behind her. And where she stopped in front of me, I could see a speaker behind her. This is the moment you know your heart's okay, by the way. It, yeah, uh, it was definitely strange. Uh, I looked at my cousin. He looked at me. We're like, what is going on? And she's looking at us, and we're looking at her. And it weird, weird. It, it got really strange in there. I don't understand when she disappeared. But the next thing we saw in front of us were three little boys playing jacks at our feet on the hardwood floors of the apartment. Here we go Just again. Little boys playing uh, jacks, and you could same thing, see right through them. They were made of black smoke, like when you burn plastic. I don't know, when I was a teenager growing up in Missouri, like on 4th of July, you'd see plastic burning. It was just acrid black smoke, and it was just angry. It was just strange. God. Okay. That'd be, uh, and, and more? Oh, it just keeps going, sir. And I'll try to hurry, because I know we have a few listeners out there. I just think we mentally, all three had just kind of lost it so much when we saw these little boys playing. And two were skinny and one was heavier. And that was even funny. We all remember the same thing today. Somehow, that made a segue. I just cannot explain it. And I thought the weirdest thing of the whole story is that suddenly there was a little girl. It reminded my mother like Shirley Temple growing up. It reminded me of Shirley Temple. <laughs> and she was doing cartwheels in place at the exact same place where we saw the... the the uh, older lady ghost and a and the boys playing. And again, black smoke. Just see right through. Now, you know, I've heard that term "shadow people" for all these years on your program, and yeah. I just don't know if that applies. I just don't even. Well, I I, I was almost going to jump to that myself. Um, anyway, did this all end, or how did it? No, it, you know, uh, did I mention that they were they were wearing period clothes? It was evident to us that oh, they no, were. Oh no, you just, did not mention that. I'm so sorry. I'm a, I'm a little excited. When you say period clothes, what period? It, minimum uh, uh, turn of the century. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's not a PC thing, but the. the you mean early like 1900s? Or earlier, or earlier. This is Fulton, Missouri. You know they. Uh, Kingdom of Callaway, they seceded from uh, the state and during the Civil War and stuff, so they've had a long, you know, a long history there. Right. Well, well to cut to the point, we were watching this, observing this, and just couldn't believe it. And then there was just no image, I think, where it was with our thoughts. It was, it's very hard to explain. And then in kicks the, the front door, and an African-American guy... Big old man runs in very angry, and he's pointing and yelling into the kitchen area where that original apparition had walked out. And he's just angry. You can tell he's a very abusive man. It was just it just scared us to death. Then he saw us. He saw us. He turned at me. He looked me straight in the eye, and he just cut across the room straight at me. And he got to within three or four feet of me, stared me straight in the face. And? He proceeded. He pulled his hand back and tried to punch me two or three times repeatedly. My friends are screaming at me. They're sitting down a little bit lower on the couch. They're screaming, they're, no, no. And he swings at me. And he didn't, he, he didn't make contact. He could not make contact. 
and he sat back about a foot, and I, I sat up in my chair, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and absolutely positively, right there, we just knew we were just worlds apart. Boy, like you're right about one thing. That, that's where reality ended, and then all of this whole thing began. And I could just see it on his face, and and I just don't remember much. I remember my friends were like whimpering. Yeah, I'm sure. And and we were just so in shock. And you all remember it the same way now? Exactly, exactly. One of my friends after this quit school. Uh, Mike, it changed our lives completely. I'm sure it would. Uh, you know, that's into a. How would you describe that? You, you. It's like you walked into no, because there were several of them. So a different world opened up in front of you, different uh, creatures, different. Uh, perhaps a, a different dimension. I, I really don't know how to describe what I just heard. That's really weird stuff. Uh, several entities of some sort, uh, just a whole collage of them, maybe that's a, a bevy of them. You're on the air, Ghost to Ghost AM05. Hi. Hello? Yes, sir. Hello, Art Bill. How you doing, man? I'm calling from San Antonio. This is John. Yes, John. We love you, man. This is You're awesome, dude. Thank you. Um, you have a story for us, John? Yeah, I just wanted to talk. One time I had a... It was on Halloween. It was down here in San Antonio at the train tracks. and uh, The famous train yeah, tracks? The famous train tracks. And... Uh, we went out there one day with a couple of friends, and we're in the back of a big, big, very big pickup truck. It was a 4 by 4 off-road, very big. And there was four of us in the back of the truck. We went to the train tracks, and we did it one time. Went through it, and, you know, we're messing around, goofing, laughing. All right, you it. really ought to tell the audience, I suppose, a little bit of the background of the train track story in San Antonio. Well, it's supposedly of a school bus that tried to go over, and I think it stalled. The school bus stalled. The school bus stalled, and uh, supposedly they didn't get the kids out on time. The train came and, and took all of them. Right. Uh, but now, subsequent to that, there have been uh, so many stories about people who have intentionally parked their vehicles on the train tracks, uh, some of them sprinkling powders and stuff, and yeah. it, it, these vehicles are pushed over these train tracks yeah. uh, in San Antonio, and you can actually see little children's hand marks on the back of the vehicles yeah, I, I tried the the, the, the the baby powder, but I never got anything from that. But what's amazing is that this vehicle that we're in was yes. very big, very humongous. And what and did it move? Yeah, it moved. It moved it. And what was weird is that it goes on a on a like a it goes up on a hill a little bit. And the third time around, I was messing. I was telling my friend to mess with the brakes. He kept messing with the brakes. He kept messing with the brakes. I told him when you get right to the slope and the truck's pointing kind of up at an angle. Yes. I said step on the brakes. I said and make it come to a complete stop. He did that, and then I told him to let it go because I wanted to see if he was going to push the big... Boy, you were really testing this, weren't you? <laughs> he pushed over the, they pushed over the truck, and it went sliding to a slope to the side, and there were four guys in the back. I had four friends in the back, and there was three people inside the truck. We were in the middle, my friend Donald, Angel driving the truck, four of us in the back. And you all witnessed. Yeah, where we had already did it about three times. <laughs> and the third time when we were doing it, yes, we did that slope, and... Uh, we heard a bunch of children crying. We could hear you're talking. I heard from seven to eight children crying, moaning and crying. And this was the best surround sound that you could have ever heard of children just crying. We freaked out and everybody looked at each other. We told each other, did y'all hear Brother. that? And they said, yeah. And uh, I asked them what they hear. And they said that they heard children crying. Two guys in the back claimed that they heard a train coming. I didn't hear no train coming, but I heard, we all heard the children crying, man. And let me tell you, it's scared. 
it scared us. I just started yelling to the well, guy. you should drug. not have. All right. First of all, you should not have been testing that in that way. Um, you know, I, I've heard from enough people about this story that I guess I believe it's true. That these children that were killed now push vehicles off these train tracks, but to go and intentionally test it in the way you did and to apply the brakes and to cause these entities to break out in tears, that's a little much. I don't think I'd be testing it in that way. That's really tempting some kind of fate, I think. You're on the air coast to coast AM with Art Bell. Hi. Good morning, Art. Good morning. Where are you, sir? Uh, Mike in Traverse City, Michigan. Hey, Mike. How are you this morning? Well... Um, a little freaked out, but... It, it is so good to hear you on the radio. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, our story comes kind of from the old country, from Ireland. Okay, you're going to have to speak up good and loud for me. Okay. Uh, my wife and I make uh, a number of trips to Ireland. We've been there over three of the last four years and four times total. And we like to hunt out castles. And there are so many there that uh, the people are so nice, you can usually knock on a door or of a caretaker or the castle itself and get the guided tour or get permission. Yeah, that's that's cool. I'd love to go castle hunting myself. Oh, it, it's great. It, it, it's so ancient, and uh, my wife kind of has that touch. Her uh, her mother, her grandmother's from Ireland, and they said she had the shining, so to speak. Right. Oh. But uh, there are some castles that you just can't get permission because nobody's around, and so you hate to say it, you trespass. And you figure if you get caught, you apologize, and uh, and hopefully uh, really? just leave. <laughs> okay. But we went to um, Charleville right uh, pretty much smack in the center of Ireland. It's a Gothic castle built, I'd say, in the mid-1700s. Yes, sir. And reputedly uh, one of the most haunted in Ireland. And, again, literally sits right in the center of the, of the island. Uh, it's got... We hit it on a Friday afternoon, and it's got one of those long, winding roads that goes through oak groves and trees, and it's just the <laughs> most ghoulish thing you could imagine. Yes. And we hit it, uh, finally made that uh, one-mile drive up the driveway, and uh, parked in the parking lot, and just a beautiful Gothic castle, very big. And went and knocked on the door, and of course nobody answered. And so uh, we kind of just walked the perimeter, and we noticed a lot of uh, sawhorses and construction material around, and we figured, like a lot of old castles, it was under renovation. Yes. So we kind of kept walking the perimeter, and then we heard a horn honk, and we thought, well, we're busted. We might as well you know, go, go admit and then leave. And uh, came around, and there was a few more cars in the parking lot, and people that were dressed up in suits and tuxedos were going in the castle. So we asked one what was going on, and they basically ignored us. And uh, we kind of followed them in and saw that they were taking uh, wedding pictures. All right, I believe we're back to the castle. Welcome back, sir. Hey, Art. Uh, very fitting uh, bumper music, Year of the Cat. Yes. We uh, Anyway, we were at our castle in Ireland, Charleville Castle, and we kind of split off from the wedding party, and uh, immediately we headed up a long spiral staircase that was rickety and almost kind of like in that Julie Harris movie, The Haunting. Mm-hmm. And uh, couldn't believe it got probably two or three floors up and did the thing you scream at movie characters for doing. I turn around and my wife's gone. She split off down the hallway. Always. Always. And I told myself that, and it's like, this is probably the dumbest thing I've ever done. Uh, so kind of rattled around and found her, came back down the stairs, and we saw stairs going down. So we proceeded, and we ended up in the dungeon. And all this time, from the time that we came in with the wedding party, 
uh, this white cat was following us around and uh, kind of rubbing against our legs, and we'd pick it up and pet it, and it purred, and just it followed us up the stairs and in the grand hallway and then down into the dungeon. So we get down into the dungeon, and now we know we're really kind of in a, an area we shouldn't be, so our senses, senses are really heightened because we, we're just sure we're going to get caught, and there's really not much apologizing you can do other than just face the consequences. Not by the time you're in the dungeon. Yep. <laughs> there's no way out now. And so we're down there, and we start hearing the construction noises and the remodeling noises and saws you know, being placed down and saw horses being moved around and tools dropped and people walking. So we're really trying to avoid that. And we hear it ahead of us, and so we go a little bit further, and then we kind of back up. And uh, down in this dungeon in Charleville, it's a long, narrow hallway with uh, alcoves shooting off to the left and to the right, like little black tunnels, which is kind of creepy as you're walking by them. Sure. And, um, <clears throat> excuse me, all of a sudden we hear the footfalls coming down the steps, and it's one of those uh, kind of square spiral steps. So the boots are coming down the steps, and my wife leaps in a dark alcove and beckons me in, and I kind of hit that deer-in-the-headlights thing and just froze. <laughs> and uh, the cat was on the, the bottom landing at the last turn. And the steps came down one at a time, distinctly hearing these steps. And all of a sudden, the cat looked at me, looked up at the steps, and just hissed and arched her back. And then the noise stopped. And uh, so we thought, boy, I caught another break. And uh, kept kind of walking around and hearing a lot of these noises, but could never find them. Well, uh, as we uh, came out finally and uh, left the castle, we went out to our car and noticed that, uh, you know, we were the only car when we got here, and now we're the only car while we're here, and it's like 6 o'clock on a Friday night. We know that these Irish, good Irish folks aren't working construction after 5 o'clock on a Friday night, so what were those noises coming from? <laughs> and uh, never really did figure it out. Now, this last year, 2005, in fact, in September, we uh, went back for a trip, and we met the owner of the castle. Wonderful lady. She's an American, been there, I think, 15 years now. And she gave us the guided tour of the, of the castle, which is just steeped in history and Masonic history. And uh, Okay, we've only got a very short time now. Okay. And as we were chatting with her, we told her about our last trip and apologized, and she accepted the apology. And then as we were talking about where's the white cat at, she looked at us and said, uh, what cat? And we described it, and she asked a few more nuances, and we described the cat further. She said, that cat has been dead since 2001. That was her kitten. <laughs> and yes. uh, we were kind of aghast at that point. Now, a year later, uh, well, later we've uh, taken our digital photos and look at it, and you can see two apparitions of a cat. Of and the cat. Orbs floating everywhere. Um, I haven't, okay, thank you very much. I haven't made up my mind about orbs. Um, I, I, on the other hand, uh, they are, uh, they're unusual. I mean, most people would, in photography, would say these are, you know, lens flashes, and everybody knows that if you get the sun in a lens, you're going to see a whole bunch of different suns, and these are what they attribute orbs to. But on the other hand, uh, orbs have been picked up in some photography where it really may be the spirit or a spirit, or something like that, because there's absolutely nothing that would do that to the lens. So I'm, uh, orbs, I don't know, they're kind of in my gray basket, but some of them are kind of eerie. You're on the air, ghost to ghost, AMO5. Hi. All right, Bill? Yes. Hello, this is uh, Juan from Pleasanton, Texas. Yes. To talk to you. Uh, I just wanted to say something about the year 2012. Uh, yes. Uh, if you look in the Bible in verse 2012, no, I don't. I don't generally allow verse reading on your own time. Read it. 
Uh, on it's my own of, time, okay. It's kind of spooky. Uh-huh. Also, you, you're a cat lover, right? Oh, yes. Um, you ever seen a six-claw cat before? Uh, as a matter of fact, yes. You have? I have. They're, they're very unusual, but they, they do exist um, naturally. I mean, it, it happens like you, you get people with six fingers. It does happen. So it's, there's nothing necessarily ghostly about that. Uh, Wizard of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art? Yes. yes hello. Um, it's Michael calling you from Seattle. I'm actually a Portlander, and um, pleasure to talk to you again. I've talked to you many years ago. Good. I, I'm glad you're back. Well, thank you. Um, uh, in 1977, actually, I had just rented a lovely little, uh, cozy little uh, uh, duplex, half of a duplex in Portland's West Hills. And um, about the third night that I was there, just settling in, yeah. first I sensed this entity behind me as I walked into, I was going in and out of my little place, and it was evening. And I sensed first, and I figured, well, maybe, you know, maybe I'm wrong about this. I sensed a very tall being, and I actually turned around and I addressed him, and it was a male. I knew somehow it was a male. And I said, and I greeted him and told him I was no harm, I would be no harm to him, and he was welcome in my home. Do you mean sensed in the, you know, in the sense that, you know, somebody's in the room with you? or sensed, yes. I, yes, I sensed that somebody had walked into the door and he was right there in my little little place. Well, I didn't think much of it after that, and I was doing some things, and finally I got ready for bed, and I went to sleep. And I swear to God, this story is true, and I swear on my wonderful, own, my own father's memory. Um, about somewhere around 2 a.m., give or take an hour, an hour, perhaps it was 2 a.m., and I was sound asleep, all of a sudden, these, um, the house had these beautiful little French windows that opened in. You had to open it, the window in to get air into the room. Sure. And, and this was February, and it was very cold, that, a particularly cold night. And um, all of a sudden, the pole shades on both at the same time uh, just went up. And, you know, when you pull on those old-fashioned shades and you let go, they go up really fast. Yes. And that's what happened. They each went up. It was almost simultaneous. It was kind of like bam, bam, like that. Yeah. And that woke me right up. That would do it. Yeah, that'll do it all right. And then I watched the, each latch uh, work. I watched the latches work, and I saw each of those windows one at a time opening up, opening into the room, Oh. And then, of course, and the wind was blowing, and these lace curtains that were on the windows, they were going. By now, I'd, I'd be running. I tell you, I did not sleep, obviously. I did not sleep the rest of that night. It was, ta- But I knew that it was taking its leave. It was exiting my life. And my. for some reason, I just knew that it didn't really either like me or relate to me or whatever. Well, you still uh, didn't get back to sleep, though. Pardon? You still didn't get back to sleep, though. Oh, that's for sure. I was up the rest of that night. Yeah, the windows opened up. You know, they just all opened All by in. themselves. All by themselves. I watched the latch turn. I saw the windows opening. And um, huh. I afterwards, I, I did talk to one of the... There were two gentlemen living there before me. And I said, you know, you, had, you have a ghost, or you had a ghost, or I had a ghost anyway. And they said, oh, yes. And I said, well, why didn't you tell me? They said, because we thought, you know, that would really scare you. And we just figured it 
would probably be okay one way or the other. Uh-huh. So um, that's my story. And a good story it is. I appreciate the call, <laughs> sir. Thank you. I, I wouldn't want to see anything move by itself. Uh, not at all. And uh, if you actually saw that, I think that, um, well, again, it would be a great uh, way to know that your heart is in great condition. Especially, you know, those, as he described, those old shades. You remember those? You let go of them, they, they go right up. Uh, but then the latches, you, you might make your way past that one, but the latches moving in the windows and going up by themselves, no. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Hi. What is your first name? My name is Donna, and, and I'm calling from Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Excellent. And I listen to you on WHBY 1150 AM. And uh, I had emailed you with, uh, it was just three little stories about uh, how I was raised in a haunted house. I will tell you the first incident, and it actually was the most frightening, even though I don't think you ever really get used to that kind of thing when it happens to what, you. What happened? Well, I was just a little girl, and I'm figuring now it was about 1959. I was raised in this house. And we kept this house until my father died in 1980. Mm -hmm. So um, I need to let you know that my father worked during the day. He was a painting contractor, and my mother worked second shift at the hospital, so she wouldn't get home until 11 o'clock at night. Right. And I'm about seven years old. I'm getting ready for bed. I'm in my bedroom. My father's in the kitchen, and he has... We had finished dinner, and he's washing the dishes. And I can still remember my little fingers pushing these buttons of my pajamas through the buttonholes as I hear Donna. And without even thinking, I just said, yes. And again, Donna. Well, then I thought it was somebody hiding in under my bed. Hmm. I'm a little girl. What do you think? Yeah, so, about that. Maybe somebody's hiding under the bed. Under the bed. And not a monster, though. I just figured it was a kid, you know, like my, my niece or something. But these thoughts are coming as quickly as what you could even think them. And so I think there's somebody under the bed, but I know there's no one there. And then I hear Donna. Now I look to the, my bedroom window because all the kids in our neighborhood... We all got together and played until the sun set, and things were different back then, what they are now. And we would talk to each other through the open windows at night, if right. one, one could be out later than the other or whatever. Are you sure? I, I remember. And I looked to the window, but the window is shut. And I am wearing flannel pajamas. So now I start thinking, no, it's cold outside and there's no one there. And before I can even get that thought out of my head, this voice says to me, Donna, don't be afraid. I just want to talk to you. Uh-huh. And with that, I became so afraid. I remember opening my mouth, but no sound came out. I tried to scream so hard, and no sound could come out. I was paralyzed with fear. Well, sure. You know, the moment something tells you don't be afraid, your reaction is going to be, I've got something to be afraid of. Finally, when the voice came out, my father came running to me, and he comforted me, but he really didn't even know what to say. 
I know that he and my mother had talked about it after that. Um, and then, of course, there were other incidences in that house. And as I grew older, then my father would start to talk to me about how he had experienced things just like that in this house. But the thing that and I've tried to analyze this and listening to your programs, I'm wondering now if what I experienced there in that room that night was maybe a sort of time travel because I refused to sleep in that room ever, know, that's, ever that's again. Certainly one of the things, uh, thank you very much, that you can't rule out about these incidents. And that is that, that it is some sort of uh, time travel, some sort of portal, some sort of accidental entry into some other realm. That certainly is a possibility, but then again, so many of these things seem to be personalized. You know, as in a relative coming back to let you know that they're okay, or even the children. Uh, but occasionally, these stories, you know, they don't make sense. Uh, in terms of any contemporary reason for a contact. And so it could be some sort of slip, some sort of entry into some other realm or dimension, uh, accidental or whatever. And that might account for some of these things. Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Good morning. All right. Hi. Hi, this is Linda calling from Houston, Texas. Hey, Linda. And my story, it has to do with what you were just talking about. I... This was back in 1957, and uh, I grew up in a small town not too far from Roswell, New Mexico. Right. It was in Texas, and we would always vacation in Cloudcroft, New Mexico, which is kind of up in the mountains, and it looks down on the White Sands Missile missile Range. And I can remember we used to go and watch them fire off the Sidewinder missile. Oh, what a neat place, yeah. It was really neat. And so we were up vacation. I was with my friend. And uh, I was about 12 years old at the time, and we were walking out in the Piney Woods, and we saw this cabin, and it had a window that was a little bit open on the bottom, and we didn't see any cars around. So being kids, we opened the window and crawled down into the basement, and we didn't hear anybody, and I was attracted to a piano, so I went over and lifted the piano bench, and I was looking at the music, and... uh, it had music like the Andrews Sisters from World War II, and it had, like, uh, Glenn Miller Orchestra. And I thought, well, this is funny. All this music is from the 40s. So I went over into a closet, and there was, like, a leather sports jacket from the 40s and a prom dress. So I said, well, let's go upstairs. So we went upstairs and went into the living room, and on the coffee table were these papers, uh, newspapers, describing World War II. And I got to thinking, this is so strange. And I just looked around, and there was nothing from the 50s. No, you know, rock music or Elvis music or any other papers. And My God, so it's, it is what we were talking about. It's kind of like you slipped into another time, uh, sort of accidentally or somehow. Everything was from some other time. And it, But it was not, uh, like, dusty. At first, I thought, well, maybe the family right. had just left the vacation home and been killed or hurt in an accident and never returned, but everything looked shiny and new, and I went to the kitchen, and there was like a small light on on the stove and like a coffee cup. Yes. And there was a medicine bottle, and I looked on it, and it was dated, 1943. Wow. And I, then I, the hair just <laughs> stood up on my neck, and hey, I yeah, said, I bet. we've got to get out of here. I was just freaked out, so we... Uh, 
crawled back out, and we were afraid to tell anybody because, you know, we, we went into the house. We didn't take anything, but uh, later on, looking back at it, it was like stepping into a different time. You know, I, I sometimes wonder, there are a lot of people in this world that just go missing. I mean, they're just never heard from again. Nobody's ever found. You know, they just go missing. Uh, there are many, many, many cases like that, and you've got to wonder if occasionally somebody like yourself has an experience like you had except doesn't come back well in kind of analyzing this looking back on it uh my father was in the uh, he was an army airman and he helped work on the timing device that dropped the atomic bomb no kidding and he was killed in uh august of 1945 before I was born, I was born in December of 1945, and I always wished that I could have met my father or known him or been around him. And looking back on it, I think maybe that was sort of a way for him to show me how things might have been had I been there when he was there. Well, that might be a leap on your part, or, it, or it not. Took me a, it took me a long time to kind of come to that conclusion, but I thought maybe I had gone back in time to try and, and see how things might have been back then. Did you ever, well... You have no way of knowing. Uh, if you had uh, embraced it and stayed, maybe you would have remained in that time, and you wouldn't be here talking to me right now. That's that's what scared me the most. I had to get out of there because I, I, I could sense that that really might happen. Good morning. It is odd, isn't it, to listen to the average person tell these kinds of stories that otherwise would seem so unbelievable, but the lines are jammed. You could do this for days and days. You could do it for weeks on end. You could do a program that would be virtually nothing but ghost to ghost every single night of the week. Now, that means something. That means these experiences are widespread. It means that they're right across the population, right across all the demographics. Everybody, well, not everybody, but so many people have had one of these experiences. It's kind of like the number of people who have seen UFOs. That you have to, you know, this much proof demands a verdict. That might be another way to put it. Don't you think? First time caller line, you're on the air. Are you talking to me, Art? I am. Wonderful. Um, what is your first name? Uh, this is uh, Pat, and I'm calling from uh, San Antonio, Texas, uh, listening on the big blowtorch, WOAI. Boy, it is, too. What a signal. Welcome. Yeah. Uh, this happened to me, true story, many years ago now. Uh, it's not a ghost story. I'd say it's more of a, some kind of demonic story, but uh, here's how it goes. I was at my grandmother's house. Uh, my mom and her are cooking in the kitchen, making uh, some kind of dinner, and uh, they give me the scraps of the meal to take out to the dog. So I step out the door, go around to the, the dog. We had one of those big shepherd wolf dogs. Mm. Well, he starts growling at me. I, I mean, I played with this dog every day. Never, ever growled at me. Real gentle dog. But he's growling and barking, so I won't even go near him because he's acting real vicious. I put the food down, turn around, start to go back into the door. Something grabs my arm from behind. Huh. I, I turn around, and there's nothing there. My arm starts to burn, and there's something yanking on it. So I'm right in the doorway. I immediately grabbed the other side of the door and put my wrap my legs around it as this thing's trying to pull me, and I start screaming my lungs out. I mean, 
I can hardly breathe. I'm, even when I think about this happening to me. No, there you go. I, I mean, I always look for the right reaction from people, and if that happened to me, that's exactly what I'd be doing, screaming and squirming. And I, That's it. I, I mean, yeah. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. Sure. So by this time, I'm up at the top of the door because it's pulling me up. So I've got my head inside the door, and my other arm and my other leg, I've got both my legs wrapped around the door jam, and this thing's pulling me, and my arm is burning. <laughs> and uh, my mom comes out and, out of the kitchen, and she looks at me, and she thinks I'm joking around or something because I'm up, up, up at the top of the door, and that's all she can see. And she goes to grab me and pull me off, and when she does that, we both get yanked out the doorway. And then, cause then she starts to realize that something's pulling on me, and what's happening? Good she Lord! She wraps her her arms around me, and she starts screaming. And my grandmother comes. She thinks somebody's attacking us or something, so she comes running out of the kitchen with a big old butcher knife. I mean, the biggest knife she's got in the kitchen is practically a machete. And she comes out and sees what's happening. And by this time, we're 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 going down the sidewalk. I mean, I'm up in That's the like air. That's like a I'm giant up. tug of war, huh? And you're in the air. Exactly. I'm, I'm oh up in God. the I'm up in the air. I'd say my mom's by now got me by the legs, just with her arms wrapped around like my waist. And you swear to me, this I, is true. I, this is the the God's truth. I have nightmares about this even when I think about it. Oh, I, all right. I, I mean, I, in my lifetime, this probably happened twenty something years ago, and uh, I've had all kinds of freaky things happen to me since. I've seen. I those, know, but getting uh, yanked UFOs, up in the air. This 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 happened. And I, so, how in God's name did you get down? Well. Here comes my grandmother. She comes running out, and she's got this big old knife and and uh, sees that there's nothing there, and I'm up in the air. And by this time, I, there's three big lines starting to appear on my arm. Look like long fingers. Right. They literally like something, I don't know, out of Alien. I've seen all kinds of movies. And it looks like just three long arms are from my wrist to my elbow. I've got these three long, big red marks happening down my arm. Right. With another one going down the backside. You said it was hot. And it's burning it, and I can I can tell you, I can still feel it to this day. It was the most uh, if if there's if, if there's a word to feel demonic. I mean, that's what I felt. It just felt like the most evilest, horriblest, just ill intent thing. Got it. Me. And so, how did you get down? Well, she she comes running out, and she's in. She jumps in front, and she starts swinging the knife everywhere. I mean, she's just trying to swing it out in the air, and she's just attacking whatever it could be that's got me there. And she's making crosses, and yeah. But my grandmother then she was probably sixty, seventy years old, and we knew her in the family as kind of a, a you know, real religious woman. Even though it might say a white witch or anything like that. I mean, she was from Spain. Just a, so she a knew. Real, she knew she, it was something, something invisible and evil. And, and she exactly, was got it. And she started saying some words I couldn't even tell you to this day because I'm I'm still busy. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. There's people coming out. I mean, there's there's witnesses. There was plenty of people that saw what was happening. That, you know, you really can't describe what you're seeing. So you think she had the, the right words? And she said some things and was waving the knife around, kind of making crosses with it and all yes. this other stuff, and it let me go, and I fell to the sidewalk. And I've had nightmares about that over the years, you know. That is a nightmare. My life. I mean, yeah, that, well, I mean, so... I've studied probably every, I've, I, you know, I've gotten to the point where when I, when I do tell somebody about this, uh, I ended by saying, you know, that's what started my search for the third dimension because I'm going to find this thing and kill it or kick its ass or something, you know. One is, but I know it exists. I, I know that there's something out there that. Well, you know, you're a braver man than I for trying to chase it down, whatever in the hell it is. I don't think I'd be chasing after something like that. Can you imagine actually being held in the air by something that had burned your arm, <laughs> brother? Wild card line. You're on the air. Good morning. 
Good morning. Yes, ma'am. Yes, this is Deborah. I'm up in the gold country in Northern California. Hi, Deborah. Hi. Um, in 1988, I had been married about eight years to a man. Uh, we lived in Hawaii, and um, uh, he um, was just very charismatic. You know, he just had a lot of confidence, and uh, I just trusted and believed in him 100%. Anyway, this affair came out, and I was very upset, uh, and his, I broke up with him. On, huh? his, on his part? Yeah, on his part, okay. with, like, one of my best friends. Uh-huh. And um, I was really upset, and I had um, gone to these, uh, like, psychic fortune teller people, and while I was there, they said, you know, your husband, he's going to try to kill himself. And I got really panicked, and I just ran back to the house as quick as I could. And um, it was just a little, you know, tiny um, house with the screen door. And when I came in the screen door, he was sitting in his chair, and I sat down on the couch, and I was talking to him. I said, are you going to try to kill yourself? And he said, well, I just about did, but then, you know, his friend had come over and taken the gun from him, and, uh, you know, he'd written a suicide note and stuff, but... Oh he, he was so completely different. I mean, now was this after you had separated? Yeah, he. We had had a fight, and I told him I was leaving, and I had been gone for the night. And then the next day, I went to the fortune tellers. Got it. And so, but when I was talking to him, I said I noticed that he didn't have like any energy. He was flat. I mean, I say he was, he was like cardboard, like dry cardboard. It was like it was so bizarre to see him like that. And he was just so dull. And I thought, this is the strangest thing about him. And in that instant, the screen door kind of like, not blew open a lot, but just kind of shook open a little bit. Are you sort of saying he wasn't there? Yeah, and I found out later something. He he explained something to me a little later. But yeah, it was like he really wasn't there anymore. And all of a sudden, the screen door shook, and he always would sit and watch TV, and the TV was on all the time. And anyway, the TV was on, but it was kind of turned down low, and all of a sudden, when the screen door shook, I could feel this force. It was like an electrical force that hit the TV set, and it was, it, this was like in a small triangle of space, you know, maybe about 15 feet. Uh, all of a sudden, the TV was like, you know, going up and down where you couldn't see the picture, and it was all fuzzy and snowy. Uh And I was trying to listen to him. He was talking so quietly. But then all of a sudden, I'm like, what is going on with the TV, right? Yes. And then all of a sudden, the TV stopped, you know, shaking like that, the screen, and I felt something come in my body, and I was just like, whoa. I mean, just my whole inside, almost as if I was choking from the inside, like, and it was like moving inside of me. I'm like, what is that? And I looked at him, I said, is that you? What the heck's going on, you know? And then he just, you know, scooted forward and said, give me your hands. And so he took both of my hands, and it was like some energy was running through my body. And it took, I guess, maybe about a minute, and then all of a sudden, I just felt exhausted. And um, and he said there, he said, you know, I had closed myself off, you know, and uh, I just opened myself up to you again, and because I guess he knew stuff I didn't really know, but then he was like he was back to normal, and um, so you think he took energy, life energy from you? Well, what I think happened is um, this is the thing that I finally got out of him. He was kind of a troubled youth, 
and he grew up in um, Oregon, Eugene, Oregon area. But one time he said he was walking in the woods as a young teenager, and this voice came to him and said, well, I will give you power if you want this power, and he accepted it. And I just think that he had allowed this dark power to kind of give him this confidence, because I found out later, I mean, so many big things he lied about. But, um, huh. but yeah, I think that the, the spirit left his body when he was thinking of killing himself. Boy, that's... What I think happened, and then I think it actually was like in the tree outside the front door. That is really odd. That's an odd one. All right. Thank you very much. Well, I actually can imagine that uh, in an instant or instance before somebody would decide to commit suicide, they've already given up life, right? If they're really serious about it, then they have given up life. And it may well be that the spirit at some point just prior to the actual ending of the life really does leave the body. Maybe that's what she experienced. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi. Hello, this is Rod. I'm calling from Hampton. Yes, Rod. I was telling you about the Yorktown Victory Center and the ghosts that pop up every once in a while there. And uh, being a security guard out there, I... Uh, oh, I love security guards. One night happened to have a, a certain circumstance where I had uh, just finished going through the inside museum area and had glanced over and saw what I thought was uh, George Washington. I glanced back again, I didn't see it. And a few moments, few moments later, I was outside going into the, the forest area out behind the camp. And uh, all of a sudden, I started hearing this <laughs> sound about six feet behind me. Great. And I took a few more steps, and I heard... <laughs> Coming up behind me, about six feet behind me. I glanced up the hill. There were two glowing orange orbs. And uh, I took a few more steps. I uh, looked behind me. Nothing there. Took a few more steps. Sound is still following me. And I'm still seeing these orange-colored orbs up there on the hilltop, and uh, I stopped, and I went back a few more steps, and I went forward, and I heard the sound again. So, being the curious type, I, uh, I figured something may be following me, and... Uh, that was about 16 steps. By now, you should be sure. Well, I was pretty sure something was behind me. Yes. Yeah, and I got to looking on the ground, and there was a a feather, a turkey feather, out of one of the animals that had been there in the farm, and uh, it was uh, somehow hooked up to a, a spider web, and I had crossed over this spider web, and it hooked up to my leg, and that was dragging along behind me, making that sound. But I still had those orange orbs. Maybe a little bit of a fire, I thought, up on the hillside. So I got closer and closer to that. And they had uh, set up a firing range for the black powder muskets. and They had been shooting that, and the two orange orbs that were showing there were a reflection of the light over there in the maintenance area. So it was nothing. So 
So it was nothing. It was nothing. So the whole thing was nothing. Yeah, but it sure scared the dickens out of me. <laughs> Sarah, well, thank you. There is a story that wasn't, um, in other words, a perfectly appropriate explanation for everything that happened, sounds and lights combined. West of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hi, my name's Raven. Yes. Yeah, I have a friend named Gary, and uh, he told me this story, so this is secondhand. But uh, he has uh, three friends, Steve and uh, Vern and Kim. And uh, his friend Vern had been depressed for a couple of years and had been talking about suicide. So, and he hadn't seen him for a while, so Vern said, can I come over? And he came over, and they hung out together. Mm-hmm. And then Vern drove away that night, and um, he didn't see him for a few days. And then he, he had this dream. And in the dream, this is my friend's name is Gary, and he, he hears, Gary! And uh, he's like, who's that? Who's that? And he looks up in the window, and here's Vern. Vern's in the window, and he's going, Gary! And Gary's like, oh, wow, what's Vern doing in the window? And then Vern says, bury me. And Gary, at this point, freaks out, and he wakes up. You know? I, I didn't quite get it. Was it bury me? Bury me, yeah. Bury me, oh. In a really scary voice. Yeah. And uh, so uh, he, he wakes up, and anyway, it, the next night he has the same dream. Gary! And at this point, he's thinking, I don't want to look at the window. I don't want to look at the window, but he has to look at the window. You know how dreams are. And there's Vern, and Vern's like, Gary, bury me. And Gary wakes up, you know, and he's terrified. And this goes on for, oh, a few months, and he's, you know, uh, starting to lose sleep. He talks to his friend Steve, and Steve tells him, I've been having these dreams. Oh, my God. And by this time, Vern hasn't shown up. Vern's Uh, gone. He's just disappeared. uh, And the police have been looking for him and stuff. And Steve says, yeah, I had this dream. And and Vern came to me and said, Steve. And I look up, and he's in the window. And there's Vern. He says, bury me. Bury me. Let me jump to the conclusion. This friend of yours did commit suicide and was later found. He did commit suicide. And And then they talked to their third friend, Kim. And Kim was like, God, I've been having the dreams, too. Got it. And so this friend actually did commit suicide. Did they finally find the body? And in each dream, as the months went by, he looked more and more like ugly and decomposing and after a while there was oh, like fungus all over his face and like like slime and, and decay and he just you know got more and more messed up and you know after I was like me I got it all right it's horrible this is this is a true story and so finally the next door neighbor came home up to his vacation house next door to Gary's house and pulled into the driveway and here was Vern's car and he had a, a a hose going from the exhaust pipe up into the cabin of the car. And how much time had passed since he Six committed to... Oh, my God. So this decomposing guy was entering the dreams of his friends, begging to be buried. <laughs> well, they do tell these stories about suicide, don't they? You're on the air, Ghost to Ghost AM 05. Hi. Hello? Yes? Yeah, okay, it's me. <laughs> it's you? Yeah. And your name is? My name is Marilyn from Grafton. Okay. Ohio. And, uh, gosh, I don't even hardly know where to begin. At the uh, beginning. At the beginning. Uh, okay, that would probably be when I was like six years old. 
uh, I was walking to school, and at this red light, uh, I, I stopped to cross the street, and I looked both ways. Nothing's coming. And I started across the street, and I was hit by this drunken funeral director, and he was driving a hearse. And the next thing I knew, I was, like, floating above my body. And I looked down, and I saw people in the group on the street there. And heaven knows your heart must need help after this. You're on the air once again. Hello. Yeah, hello, Art. Okay, please continue. Okay, uh, I was uh, hovering up above the ground, and I noticed a, a large group of people uh, on the road, and I was curious, so I kind of just floated over, and I looked in there, and I was really startled when I saw myself laying on the ground. Mm-hmm. And with that, I just kind of, that's the last thing I remember. I was, like, sucked back into my body. Uh, that was just, like, the beginning of everything that started happening to me. Many, many people who have had near-death experiences have a lot of follow-on stuff happen to them. Mm-hmm. Well, I would get these, what I call visitations at night. Before a close friend or a relative in our family would die, uh, I would have visitations by ghosts. Mm-hmm. And there would always be more than one night of it. So when it started, I, I would just be terrified because I couldn't fall asleep. I knew it would keep happening and happening. Well, one time... Uh, this visitations had started happening to me, and I knew another one was going to come that night. I had the uh, bed pushed up against the wall, and my husband sleeping on the outside. I was kind of afraid there. Sure. And I was laying there in bed, just totally terrified, and I could feel, like, these fingers going up the nape of my neck. And I could feel the fingers were so, like, grabbing the hair. And I knew within myself that... If it was able to grab my hair, it would pull me to somewhere. I don't know where, but I didn't want to go there. Uh, I hear you. So I started screaming, and I woke up my husband. And I had subsequent visitations to that. Uh, I would see, like, shadows marching up against the, the wall. You know, of course, your story is very similar to other uh, NDE you know, type experiences that people have had. I mean, um, I, I've really interviewed quite a number of people who have had a sort of a brief instant on the other side, and inevitably they have these follow-ups. And I wonder if there is some kind of connection, kind of like, you know, once you've been there, once you've made a connection with the other side, it maintains a connection with you. And a lot of people have precognitive experiences. A lot of people have visitations, much like that young lady was just describing. First time caller line, you're on the air. Hi. Hello? Good evening, Art. Yes, good evening. Yes, good evening. Uh, Before anything else, may I say thank you for this marvelous entertainment that continues (laughs) night after week after month after year. Yes, sir, thank you. Marvelous. (laughs) Um, Several years ago, when I was just breaking into the trucking industry, I was traveling across the middle of California on Highway 152. There's a very large reservoir up in the hills between the San Jose Valley and the San Joaquin Valley. Yes, sir. And lovely summer night, 
just just marvelous. And I'm driving along about oh about half asleep in the middle of the night, and all of a sudden, out of the blue comes this little voice, says, "Lovely night," and I kind of looked off to the right side of the cab, and just a fleeting glimpse of this blonde girl in a white, full-skirted dress. And I thought, okay, yeah, too many miles, too many hours. Yeah. <laughs> kept on going. There was a Denny's about 20 miles in front of me. I was going to stop at for coffee. Good for you. Which I did. And reaching over to the right side of the cab, it was a cab over, so of course there's a <clears throat> engine cover there that I had to lean over, and I put my hand on the right seat to roll up the window that I'd had partially open. Right. The seat was wet. I thought, well, that's rather odd. It was a lovely summer night. It wasn't raining, nothing going on, no heavy dew or anything like that. Right. I hadn't run into anything. So um, I proceeded to get coffee and go about my business. And a couple of months later, I was talking to a couple of drivers in the truck stop in San Jose that's no longer there. And they were relating this story about this couple that had gone off the road up in the Pacheco Pass years before. The new husband had survived, but his, his bride of just earlier that evening had, uh, had drowned there. <laughs> and uh, let, me, let, let me guess, um, the other truckers had experienced the same thing. No, they hadn't. They just were relating the story. We were just kind of kicking it around. And like I say, this was a couple of months after this experience. I had not heard the story before. I just thought it was rather odd that the seat was wet. Um, I should say. I, I, I appreciate the call. Thank you. I would think that would be the, the repetitive kind of thing. That, that worries me, um, has always worried me, this, this apparent repetitive action that people seem to experience um, in these stories. I mean, you know, in death, that they do the same thing again and again and again, a hell of its own, really, if you think about it. But again, it, it does lead one toward the possibility that uh, all we're experiencing and all we're noticing is some kind of, I don't know, endless tape loop, sort of a vibration that remains, but not really a ghost as we think of a soul. Um, Wildcard Line, you're on the air. Hello. Yeah, good morning, Art. Good morning. Uh, yeah, Walt from Pennsylvania. Yes, Walt. Uh, 850, 850 WNTJ Johnstown. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, excuse me, I'm just getting over a cold right now, so if I sound a little hoarse to you, just let me know. Okay. Okay. Uh, back in 95, uh, me, my dad, and a friend of ours, we were out hunting. There's about, no oh, about a foot and a half of snow out there, and uh, we go back in our tree stand, separate up, and uh, oh, about around about lunchtime, we meet up with my dad on his tree stand. We're sitting there having lunch, and look out across the hillside there, and in the thicket, my dad says, "Look at that." He said, "There's a guy and a woman over there, and he's holding her hand, and they're making tracks up through the woods, up through this thicket, and that, and we're looking at him, and he has a long sleeve dress shirt on, dress pants." and dress shoes, she has a white dress on with high heels. Mm -hmm. Now, there's 18 inches of snow out there, and it's about 10 degrees out. And we're all bundled up and like, what the heck are they doing back there? Not very appropriate. No, not very appropriate at all. So my buddy pulls his binoculars out, and he's looking at them, and I pull mine out out of my pack. We're looking at them, too. And, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, we're uh, 
checking them out, and they just, like, disappear. So toward the end of the day, maybe about uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we're working our way out to go home, and we're looking at the tracks in the snow. There was no foot tracks from them. No foot tracks. There was ours. There were tracks from deer, but there was no foot tracks from them. Again, that's kind of like some kind of slip. It's, you know, almost like you went to another time or another time came to you or there was some little window of something that just should not have been. Well, it's more like, uh, I think I think it was more like there was a window that came to us because uh, about three-quarters of a mile from us uh, used to be an old farm up at this place. And it's uh, up in the state park. And there was an old farm up there because we found foundation stones from like 1810, 1835 up here. And, you know, kind of wondering, you know, geez, wonder what happened back then that you see a young guy and a young woman, and they're making tracks up through the woods, and when you uh, leave for the day, you see no tracks in the snow from them. And it didn't snow, and the snow didn't melt. So, no, I'm, I'm with you. Up. I'm with you. I've got it. All right, thank you very much. Well, there have been quite a few like that tonight, haven't there? Sort of uh, little shifts or little immersions into different times like the lady with all the contemporary things that were actually really old. Not dusty. Brand new. Just used, but really old. That's kind of like you went to a different place, a different time. East of the Rockies, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, Art. Hi. I got one that's a little different approach, and I'm going to speed it up as quick as possible. All right, please. Uh, About four years ago, I was with this girl who came from a very broken home, uh, her mother was killed in a car accident. Her father abused her, so she was kind of off balance. And I didn't realize that she was off balance until we moved in together. But um, in the middle of the night, going on 3, 4 in the morning, I had to get up and be at work at 6 in the morning. Yes. So I wake up and have an attack of what appears to be sleep paralysis, which I'm sure you're very familiar with. I am. And I had never had this happen to me before, kind of you know, unfamiliar with it. And I battled with this for about five minutes and then fell immediately back into a deep sleep. Into this sleep, I was in this dream state where I was in like a grayish-like hallway, and I saw my grandfather, who had committed suicide when I was about six months old. And I went to approach him and hug him, and he pops me right in the nose, Oh, bloodies my nose in the dream, and we're struggling, and a woman in a blue gown came and got this, got my grandfather off of me and told me, it's going to be okay, she's just confused, I'm so sorry. Wow. So when I wake up, I snap immediately, back, just completely awake, not the least bit tired, and there's my ex-girlfriend, and she is bawling, I mean, completely in tears. Couldn't get a word out of her for an hour and finally, when I did get a word out of her, she said, what does she mean that I'm confused? And I said, well, what are you talking about? She said, I heard her voice through you. Oh, and I heard brother. a groan. And oh. at that moment, Art, my nose gushed blood. Oh, my God. <laughs> so you be the judge. Thank you for all these wonderful shows. You have a great night. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much for contributing to it as well. Well, I guess my first reaction would be uh, that you really did not escape the um, paralysis, that um, 
you really didn't fall, obviously, back into a normal sleep after the paralysis, but instead you in some way gave in to the paralysis, and voila, what followed? <laughs> you can fight off uh, this sleep paralysis and uh, wake yourself up or whatever, but I don't, that's not what happened to you. You, you immersed yourself into it. Uh, you're on the air coast, ghost to ghost AM with Art Belheim. Hi. Hello. Hi, Art. Um, what, is, what is your first name? Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm a little nervous. Uh, that's all right. Um, my first name is Diana. Diana. And I'm calling from Brighton, Colorado. Excellent. Um, my true story, my experience happened um, some years ago when I was attending the school for the visually impaired in Louisiana. And I was about 16, 17, around that age. And I had just laid down to bed, and I was um, living in a dorm. And my room was, like, at the end of the hall, and I was the only one in that room. Were you completely sightless? No, I, I'm totally blind in one eye and have some vision in the other. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, and so I just laid down for bed and uh, starting to doze off. And all of a sudden, I hear this, like, kicking at the wall outside. And I'm like... Okay, what in the world is going on? Maybe it's some of the, the boys that are playing a prank, you know? Sure. So I get up, and I look out the window, open the window. Okay, nothing out there. Go, okay, go back to sleep. Then I start hearing scratch, scratch at the screen. I'm like, oh, okay, now this is getting ridiculous. By, by now, you probably figure somebody's messing with you. Yeah. And so then it's like, okay, it's like, I got to get some sleep. I got to get to school, you know? So I lay down again, start to doze off, and then... I hear this voice that goes, sleep now, Diana, it's okay. Uh -huh. And I'm like, all right. And the next thing I know, I wake up and my bed starts shaking. Oh. The, the room, everything in the room just starts like crackling all over. And then I look toward my closet door and there's this, this face, this like orangish red face with these reddish fire eyes and these horns uh. on the head and like a, a black, hood over the head and it's like getting brighter and bigger and it's like I'm frozen and I'm like oh sure. god what do I do you know and the only thing I knew to do is just say god get me out of here and the next thing I know I'm running but my feet aren't touching the floor huh. it's like something's carrying me out of that room and I ran to my best friend's room and I said Something happened, something happened. She says, well, take it easy, you know, just sleep in my room tonight. And I didn't go back in that room for the rest of the night. Well, I'm, I'm not laughing because anything's funny, only because it's sort of so classic. I mean, running and you can't go anywhere, you know, yeah. feet up in the air. It's just the worst of the worst. But, I mean, that, that face, that was just, that has just haunted me all my life seeing that. I and imagine it would. Um, w what conclusion do you now, when you think about it now, you're older, what do you think? I don't know, maybe something just trying to scare me because it knew things in my future, good things in my future that were going to happen to me, maybe trying to scare me. I, I don't know. I could never figure it out. But, I mean, um, I've had other little scares through my life, you know, where certain little things have happened, like trying to stop me from doing things or, you know. But that was the most, oof. Maybe, just... maybe you have some sort of guardian angel. 
Oh, I'm pretty sure I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you very much for the story. Have a good night. Thanks so much, Right. Art. Take care. West of the Rockies, you're on Ghost to Ghost AM05. Hello. Is this me, Art? That's you. Hi. Happy Halloween. Same to you. And what Art. is your first name? My name is Zach. Zach? Zach. Zach. Oh, okay, yeah. Zach. Welcome. Hi. Thanks. Um, well, let's see. When I was a boy, uh, we lived in this... Uh, house in Oregon City, Oregon. I, I think we were, I was about six years old when we moved in there. And in Oregon City, there are a lot of historical homes. It's built right at the end of the Oregon Trail. Right. And uh, this house was uh, one of those. Um, we still had the, uh, the old clawfoot bathtubs and the old, you know, Art Deco light fixtures and everything was original to the house. Sure. Um, anyway, it was a spooky old place. I mean, you just looked at it and you just, it was weird looking. It was a spooky house. And uh, I'd play around in the basement building forts and whatnot, and uh, our landlords lived across the street. And I remember one day I was talking to the landlord, and in ca casual conversation, he brought up the fact that, wow, there was a ghost that lived upstairs in their house huh. of, this, of, a, of an old lady that had died there. I, and I didn't pursue the matter, uh, what that was all about. But uh, not too long after that, things started happening around our house, you know, little lights going on and off, and, and strange sounds in the in the house, and, and every time I was in the basement, I could just, I felt like I was being watched. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps just thinking about it. Huh. And uh, You know, it sounds like poltergeist stuff, it you was, know, lights on and off. Uh, right, right. How, how about things moving? That's things, you could, I personally didn't see anything move, but you could hear, like, chairs sliding across the floor uh -huh. and footsteps, that type thing. Right. So being a little kid, you know, my mom, we tried to tell, my brothers and I uh, tried to tell my mom and dad, and they just kind of poo-pooed it, you know, overactive imagination type thing. And uh, I'm really nervous, forgive me. <laughs> oh, no, 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 you're doing fine. You're <laughs> doing great. great. This is great. And, uh, well, um, this went on for, I forget how long. Um, I was pretty young. Eh, until about the summer that I was 11. And uh, my mother and I were alone in the house. My brothers were outside playing. And uh, she had laid down on the couch for a nap. Well, I'm in the bathroom. And I'm taking a bath in this old bathtub and uh, playing with my toys, whatnot. And all of a sudden, I feel a hand on the back of my neck kind of stroking me up and down, you know, yeah. like, a, like a, just a really loving caress type thing. And it freaked, just freaked me out. So I jumped straight up and uh, yelled for my mother. Um, of course, she didn't hear me. Well, right about that time, this is where it got really spooky. Okay, we're way short on time. Okay, so. anyway, I started... I could feel snakes falling off the ceiling and hitting me on the head. And as they did, they would slither down my body. I could feel them and plopping right into the bathtub. I could oh. everything. It was just, I, I just, I freaked. I jumped out, ran into the, to the living room. And, well, actually, I yelled, stop it. <laughs> this is, okay, this is the bad part. Because when I yelled, stop it, this voice, this cackle, it was, it was the most evil, hideous laugh I have ever heard, and I have never forgotten it. And it was it was in the bathroom with me, and it was just I I still can't even I had to go to a priest and talk to him actually. Because well, that is exactly where we're going to have to end it. Take care, buddy. Okay, I, thanks, I appreciate the stories.